They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. For as much as I love doing this for fun, because it is something that I do for fun, we can't do it without the support of our newest patrons. It's for it's people like this who help us keep the lights on. We do have expenses, hosting, art, Canva, all that good stuff. We do have expenses. And thank you to Digital Tropics, Chill, and Nikki, our newest patrons. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the support. And patrons get early access, exclusive Patreon-only content, and other stuff, whatever else I feel like putting on there. But yeah, if you're if you want early access weeks ahead of time, sometimes for certain episodes, I only release one episode per week. Make sure to sign up and support the podcast. So if you don't want to do a subscription, that's fine. I also have shirts. All that all of that is in the show notes, the links to that. And I also do the journals, the Occultist Monday, or the comic book. Or even a one-time PayPal donation. Up to you. If you don't like the subscription-based models. It is a value for value show. So make sure to check that out. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening and for tuning in and enjoy a banger of an episode. And they would go and kidnap young kids, like a 13 or 14 year old. They drug them with hashish. And when the kid would get knocked out from smoking or eating too much hashish, they'd bring him into this mountain, this artificial environment like heaven on earth. They'd come to and they'd be surrounded by rivers of, of wine and like just women feeding, like naked women feeding you, you know, grapes and like pomegranates and stuff. So they'd come to, before they get kidnapped, you're just a poor kid on the street that's just looking for something to steal to get by. You get drugged, you wake up, you're now in heaven and you get brought to the old man in the mountain. The old man in the mountain will basically say, hey, I'm sorry you died. Uh, the good news though is that you're in heaven so check it out dude like this place is awesome right you know you want some more beer you want some more honey everything here is for you by the way those chicks there's 72 of them i mean it's not exactly you know but it's like that 72 virgins promise so he's telling these these young you know 13 14 year old fighting age males okay you're dead here's the thing i'm god i'm gonna send you back into earth um you're gonna you're gonna go back to the world of the living you're still a ghost, like you're still dead, you still belong to me, but you're only allowed to come back to heaven and hang out with me again if you go and kill this dude. And by the way, don't be worried about getting caught, don't be worried about dying, because if any of those things happen, you're just gonna come right back here to heaven again. So you've got nothing to fear. The only thing that might go wrong is that if you don't 
Like if you leave your mission and you don't do what we're asking you to, then you don't get to come back to heaven and you're just gonna have to walk around the earth as a ghost and just always be detached. So then they, they drug him with hashish again and the kids wake back up out in the real world wondering did that even really happen? But, you know, again, like they have no other point of reference, no other goals. So it's like, well, I want to go back to heaven. So I'm going to kill this person that they told me to kill. And that arguably is where the term assassin came from, because it came from Hashashin, because they would give these kids all this hashish, which would knock them out so that they could kind of like brain, you know, like mind control, brain program them, send them back out into the world and kill the political um, adversaries. So this is essentially one of those things that the MK Ultra scientists really wanted to be able to do because I mean this story has been around since Marco Polo's tales and it's you know they obviously had heard of this so it, it set the template. Welcome to the One on One podcast with your host Juan Ayala. The... We start. <laughs> We're with the one and only. He's a paranoid, paranoid American, and he's ranting about conspiracies. Ranting about conspiracies again. We got the one and only paranoid American with us today, and you guys are really in for a treat. You guys really are because this is going to be a, a deep dive on an actual thing with evidence from the government before we get to it check out the occultist monday the one podcast.com i don't know if thomas has it up yet or not who knows who cares because he's lazy and doesn't put it up on his etsy but check it out on my website he's 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 really going hard in the paint there with the adrenochrome stuff and obviously the chosen juan versus the saturnian cube on my website check it out and also check out paranoid american He's got a bunch of stuff, and we're going to be talking about some stuff from there today. Oh, look at the MK Ultra. So, you want to plug your stuff before we get into it, Thomas? Yeah, yeah. Let me. Uh, I'm turning off my my background just so it doesn't freak out here. But so you were just showing the uh, the MK Ultra. So on Amazon, it's this little booklet here, which has got like a panel for uh, each page. You switched it up, dude. The size of it? No, no. So, so the the Amazon version is this one. It's like a little coffee table book. Oh. It's the same content, but it's much bigger panels of all okay. of the different pages. Oh, this is a but sampler, that, right? Well, the one that you're holding up, this is the paranoid pamphlet, and this is a an ongoing series based on kind of the chick track format. And me and you have been talking about maybe doing a homunculus. It will be one of these guys here in the series. Yeah, we're definitely um, going to do that. And then I'm also going to talk about a couple. Um, topics that come up in this one, which is Paranoid American History 101, which is a 88-page uh, graphic novel, eight artists, eight writers, eight stories, and one of them is about Operation Midnight Climax, which is gonna we're gonna touch on that once we get into the the later years of MK Ultra. Uh, so that's that's my plugs for here. Chosen one, you mentioned I'm I'm getting lazy. I, I haven't put anything up on the Etsy site yet, but I've got stickers and pamphlets. I'll have design up on there. Uh, I'm just giving you a head start. It's all good, bro. It's all right. I'm not complaining, but I'm just letting people know. Sign if you want to see some animated titties. Sign up for Paranoid Americans, uh, uh, Patreon. Right? You got the Patreon role. Oh yeah. So I haven't even really announced that yet. So yeah, 
on uh, on Patreon, Paranoid American, I'll be doing some previews and game demos for some uh, some adult only series. One of them's called Illuminati, N A U G H T Y, and that one's going to be an ongoing anthology of just eight to twelve to sixteen page mini comics, all kind of adult oriented. And then a number of Steam games. The first one's going to be called Lucifer Lives in Lower Manhattan. That kind of dovetails with all of this different research that we're going to be getting into. And it's a, an interactive novel game. Awesome, dude. Yes, check that out. Make sure to sign up for my Patreon, patreon.com slash the one pod. The one on podcast, is it? Yeah, whatever. Anyways, you know, it's on my link tree. It's in the show notes. Who gives a shit? You remember shit? your website name? I think so, dude. Somebody told me, it's like, oh, you say it too fast. I go, well, it just rolls off the tongue, right? So here we are. And we're going to be talking about something that this is why I tell people to question whatever is being fed to them whatever is being told in the mainstream media or any of this stuff because it's this particular topic mk ultra which i haven't really dove into maybe i've touched on it here and there because it pertains to some other conspiracy theories that we talk about right uh you know it's it's and what i've learned from you is that it's a blanket term it's not just mk ultra it's all these sub programs that we're going to be getting into it and I said, what a better way to get into it than by following the pamphlet and going. I know you put the main point in there, but filling in the blanks after that. So from 1951 to 1954, what happened between that? And we can go based off the pamphlet to talk about it. So here we are. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. I, I got a nice little presentation put together and it's going to it's going to end with the link to the pamphlet. So then I'll let the pamphlet take over because I want to because the pamphlet you'll see is very limited in scope. Like the amount of words that you can fit on each panel is very limited. So it's kind of like the, the very brief overview of everything, but we're going to go way deeper into it um, before we like jump into the artwork. So, and, and I wanted to point out too, that again, this is like probably one of my favorite topics conspiracy wise, because there's so much documentation to back it up. It sprawls into so many different areas. Mm-hmm. It touches. I mean, honestly, like we joke about the homunculus being like three or four links away from any topic this is like two links away right it's yeah it's always going to be a little bit close to the homunculus and and uh just as like a small proof i just jumped into the my bookshelf to see what i could grab off the top of my hand and this is just like one small selection of some kind of like mk ultra specific books that i'll just whip through really quick just to show like you know 10 percent of the the research that went into this this one's kind of a uh, uh, unknown gem right here uh, electromagnetic mind control which we're going to show like this is this is basically where mk ultra started it was just the manipulation of the mind from external sources where it's drugs or electrotherapy hypnosis whatever um this one right here is like a, a seminal work hp Abrelli jr terrible mistake and it's basically the story of frank olsen so it's a pretty uh, thick, chunky boy, but it's worth Damn, the read. Damn, dude. How many pages is that? HP what? I've never heard of that guy. HP Abarelli Jr. I think he actually teaches a course on conspiracy theories in Florida somewhere. We got to get that guy on the podcast, bro. So this one's over 800 pages. This one ends around 820-something. Wow. This one, uh, I wish I had the dust cover because the dust cover is so dope. It's called the Mind Manipulators, and it's um, and it's a slightly older account of the CIA and Rockefeller Medicine, and it touches into MK Ultra experiments. This is a uh, <clears throat> the Peter Lavenda Sinister Forces <laughs> series. Uh, 
if you just like the the topic, he kind of like weaves in and out of it. How do you feel about him, bro? You think he's he's legit? Uh, I mean, I I think that he's got an angle, right? So a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that he writes all tends to fit into the angle that he's uh, working at. But I think his research is um, more than impressive enough to to read through it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would if I would take all of it to the bank or like you know found my life on any of the findings in there, but it's it's beyond interesting. This one's another one called uh, Psychiatry and the CIA Victims of Mind Control, and I think it was written by the son of a doctor or maybe the son of a victim that was a patient. Um, anyways, it was really you can see all my notes. Uh, it was a pretty uh, deep one, and then this one is going to come up too. Uh, this not this specific book, but just the concept of the assassins and the old man in the mountain. Uh, and we talked about this one a little <laughs> while ago, but this is kind of at the core of why did MK Ultra even kind of exist? Uh, and then I didn't want to have a whole stack of it, but one of my other very favorite topics, NLP, oh, comes directly from a lot of this early MK Ultra sort of research. So, I mean, I, I didn't want to bring every single book I own over here, but I swear, like, my library at least a quarter of it somehow relates to this one particular topic. And that and that's so people can get a, a a picture of the amount of research that and reading that we sometimes do to develop these episodes, right? I know you've talked about this. We all have our own niche and that's what I love about the community. I'm into my own thing, you're into your own thing, you know, Mark is into his own thing. Everybody has their own niche, but we always sometimes tend to dive and focus on one aspect of a certain topic and that's the whole thing with esoterica being an esotericist where you focus on one thing you become sort of an expert on that one subject but the amount of reading that goes from searching for that neck i call it the next high where you're looking for that one nugget of information <laughs> where like you're shi- you're sifting through all this information and reading and then you find that one little sentence and you're like oh dude like that's what i'm missing and like you find this new piece of information you go wow and it just blows your mind for one split second and then the search continues again you're looking for that uh, that conspiracy (laughs) carpet weed when you're down in there in the fibers trying to find those last little nuggets right yeah trying to get a a a hit of the next the next high that's the (laughs) way i see it i really love going into a conversation or a book and just reading the most mind-blowing piece of information and then it's just like it goes down you're just reading for the next one so so there you had a bunch of books source material which is very important let's get to it bro all right, well, I'm going to – I got a little presentation here to just kind of like slowly lead the way until we get to the pamphlet here. Let me know when you want me to bring up the screen. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go for it. There you go. So this is the, the cover to the pamphlet that we'll jump to after this um, about MK Ultra. But we're going we're gonna to start a little bit before MK Ultra and just talk about sort of government experimentation. So if you're not familiar with MK Ultra and Broad – it essentially boils down to the government experimenting on citizens, uh, both here in the States and uh, abroad, you know, all countries, to see how far they can push the aspects of mind control um, in terms of truth serums, forcing people to do things that they don't want to do, um, you know, preventing uh, prisoners of war to get captured, figuring out ways to induce amnesia or, you know, physically, like, remove the memories from their brains surgically so that if they get captured, they won't remember training. Like, all all of these different aspects of controlling the mind kind of fall under this umbre- umbrella term of MKUltra. So 
here's here's one guy I, I was surprised that you had heard of him before and i'm kind of glad because it's, <laughs> what a what a great way to start on this and i intentionally technically i can you can go back to early mescaline research in germany until like the mid 1800s but i'm gonna jump right to the united states and we're gonna draw some correlations between the united states and germany and notice that this is right around world war ii uh, era right here 1931 so Dr. Cornelius Packard Dusty Rhodes, um, he actually um, was a director of the, the Cancer Research Institute here in the States, but his story was that he had this knack for studying all sorts of infectious diseases. I think like one of them was leukemia, so he had a lot of cancer research, but he also was doing some kind of like malaria research. And the thing that was notable about this dude is that instead of going out to find people that had the diseases and then trying to cure them and find, you know, ways to treat the disease, he would first just try to like create the disease in a healthy person and then cure that disease. So it's like the laziest version of like, I don't want to go and find a cancer patient. I'm just going to create one and then treat this person. So very much was on this dark side of human experimentation and all funded by the uh, the government essentially i'm trying to find that quote about the puerto ricans because i know he goes hard in the panel i got it linked right here actually oh you got to pull it up bro yeah, because so, so let me let me give it some context so <laughs> he's he gets funded by the rockefeller institute in the 1930s and i'm not going to go i swear i won't go on too much of a um a tangent here but Rockefeller 1930s medical research, Scottish Rite, Adrenochrome, those all come together in this exact same sort of push over the next, you know, 20 years from the 30s to the 50s. But anyways, this guy is essentially specializing in mustard gas research, and they send him to Puerto Rico to just do various aspects of research. One of those was cancer research, I think malaria, and he basically learned to just hate the puerto rican people in general hated the <laughs> island hated the people and he got so fed up he actually wrote a letter that got published in the puerto rican and the american papers that where he claimed that he was injecting puerto ricans with cancer cells to intentionally you know give them cancer in order to then study on them um so he, here's <laughs> Uh, and, and just note that the uh, the American Association for Cancer Research actually had a Cornelius P. Rhodes Memorial Award oh. all the way up until 2003. And like, they knew about, everyone mm -hmm. knew about this, but it took like 20 years of Puerto Rican scientists um, to just keep complaining about it. And then eventually they renamed it to something else. But like the, the Cancer Research Society that everyone funds their money into literally had an award named after this guy that was intentionally injecting Puerto Ricans specifically because he hated them. So here's the, here's the quote. It is uh, I'll let you read it since you're, I, you're I, Puerto Rican, you can get away with it. Yeah, I got, I got it here. It says that he was instructed by the Rockefeller Institute where he worked as a trained medical practitioner to go to Puerto Rico to study anemia. Do you have that too? Yeah. He, I mean, he went there to just study various, diseases and here, here's the quote i got highlighted for you <laughs> it would be ideal except for the porto ricans they are beyond doubt the dirtiest laziest most degenerate and thievish race of men ever inhabiting this sphere and i know it's going to trigger some people the sphere part is at least it makes you sick to inhabit the same island with them they are even lower than italians what the island needs is not public health work but a tidal wave or something to totally exterminate the population it might be 
it might then be livable. I have done my best to further the process of extermination by killing off eight and transplanting cancer into several more. The latter has not resulted in any fatality so far. The matter of consideration for the patient's welfare plays no role here. In fact, all physicians take delight in the abuse and torture of the unfortunate subject. So, he, you know, when I read that first part, I didn't disagree, right? Because I'm like, he has got a point. But the fact that the rock of what really blew my mind is that the Rockefellers are behind this more than anything. And obviously this guy was a blatant racist, but he's not wrong about the lazy part. The lazy part and thievish. I, I, I believe that part. He's not wrong. He's he's spot on when it comes to that. So <laughs> and it and it's really messed up. But again, the Rockefellers are behind this and the Rockefellers are also behind our educational system, too. Yeah, I mean, that's a tangent. I don't think we've got time to go on in this topic. But, I mean, turn over any stone and you'll find a Rockefeller there is sort of the ongoing theme when we go into these topics. But I wanted to point out this very last statement here because there's nothing more, um, you know, paperclip MK Ultra inspired than this last little sentence. And even though he, late, years later, when he got called out on writing this, he said that he kind of did it as like a mean-spirited joke and he was venting out frustration but mm-hmm. like these feel like someone's true thoughts behind uh all of this Freudian and slip. this last part <laughs> where he says all physicians take delight in the abuse and torture of the unfortunate subjects we're gonna see that this is you know definitely true when those physicians are government physicians whether it's germany or the united states if the government is the only one you have the answer to then i really do think there's like a form of dissociation where the people getting paid to do these horrific experiments on you know the victims they have to like ridicule the victims and they have to almost make the victims their enemy in order to just keep proceeding it's almost like the stanford prison experiment in a way like it's your your friends and your classmates, but you have to look at them as horrible murderers, and then you can justify all the horrible things that you're going to do to them. Uh, so, anyways, this this is where we're starting out on um, on dusty roads here, just because it's such a great example of first, you know, government sponsored experimentation on its own citizens, and almost like a delight in the horrible aspects of it. Um, so we're we're going to see that unfortunately this guy sets the trend and almost everything kind of follows him and so, note note that it was in the 1930s so before world war ii where they were and to add context as early as i can recall the ni- 1917 the u.s 1918 was doing sterilizations on mentally handicapped populations and they were sterilizing these people because they saw them as lower humans and the Nazis actually took that as a model to compete with the US. So we're painted this picture that the Nazis, yes, they were pieces of shit, 100%, but we're painting this picture like, oh, they were the ones that started this. It's like, no, Pythagoras actually actually came up with eugenics and all this sort of stuff. And again, I think I'm in the in the class where it just changed names. The Roman Empire never died off. It just transferred hands. It just kept going in some sort of weird way. But yeah, just to add some context that the U.S. was behind a lot of these horrific things before the Nazis even came into the picture. Well, and, and we're going to see there's a couple examples here where 
our uh, research here in the United States gets cited by the Nazis there, the Nuremberg trials saying like, wait, you guys did this. How come we're getting tried <laughs> for doing these horrible things when you guys were doing it before the war even started? Wow. Um, so there's a, a couple of specific, and the only reason that we didn't go before in the 1930s and get into like the eugenics movement, um, which again, Rockefeller funded, which is one of the easiest links to make there uh, just because the eugenics and MK ultra doesn't, um, kind of dovetail as much as so many of these other topics but that there's absolutely a thread that goes all the way through this and includes that so okay so we've we've got dusty Rhodes here setting a great example and starting it out he's got uh, memorial wards named after him that last until the 2000s um, so basically an all-around honored and uh, sort of celebrated personality so then we've got this one is most people know about but in case you're not familiar with it the Tuskegee syphilis study where basically the government injects specifically poor black people with syphilis and it's a completely treatable disease. The only thing they want to figure out is like, what happens if you just let this disease just go on and fester? How does it spread? How does it um, affect the, the individual person after being treated for so much time? And again, this is an example of that. I'm going to take a healthy person, specifically a, a U.S. citizen. I'm going to take a healthy U.S. citizen. I'm the government, and I'm going to give them this horrible disease just so that I can study it because I don't want to go out and actually find people with the disease and help them. I'm just, I just care about what this disease is, and I don't care who my host is. Um, so, so this is a pattern that's just going to keep going over and over. This is another one um, in the 30s. This was a, a niacin deficiency, and the public health service knew about it for about two decades and millions of people were dying but it only really affected poor people uh, people that couldn't get all their vitamins essentially and it had very specific traits very specific symptoms but it was another example of the government just saying like yeah we're just going to kind of wait and see and how does this spread how do people just kind of react to it on their own instead of just giving a public service announcement of Hey, in order to get rid of this, just eat more niacin, which is common ingredient depending on you know what your diet is. So this again affected predominantly poor people, also uh, a lot of poor blacks. So you'll notice that there's almost like almost every one of these government projects they tend to select from what what they consider the undesirable society at that time. Even going all the way up in MK Ultra, where they're picking on like prostitutes and drug abusers and prisoners. Um, pretty much people that if they complain, they don't have any kind of platform or voice, right? There's no newspaper articles writing about any of these people. And then here's another one that if, if you're not familiar with this one, this is an example where the Nazi scientists were sourcing um, or they were citing our research as their defense in Nuremberg. So this, this happened in a penitentiary slightly outside of Chicago, but it was funded um, and directed by the University of Chicago and the U.S. Army. You'll notice that a lot of the MK Ultra mind control projects, um, the ones that deal with like biochemical warfare and sort of like physically hurting or testing someone with large machinery, that starts within the military and then branches out. But all of like the psychological and hypnosis and um, kind of like known infectious diseases, a lot of the times it, it starts in academia. And then the CIA just latches on and just funnels them money and says, hey, I like what you're doing. I'm going to just pour a bunch of gasoline on that fire and you let, let me know what happens. And that's kind of what they do is they're just hedging their bets. They're investing in all these fringe sort of research topics 
and they get to be the ones that know all that information and it doesn't get published they're not you know public topics that get talked about they're just harvesting it for military resources and they always they always present it into the right it's for the betterment of the people it's a matter of national security so they're kind of uh, coercing people right to to be doing this thing how you're saying they're offered them shorter sentences like hey do you want to is this is this what you want to be I, I imagine them talking to them back then is this what you want to be remembered for don't you want to be a part of a of a bigger thing bigger than you'll ever be you know what i mean like they're they're just talking down to these people who are obviously how you're saying the the What'd you call them of the of the societies the the not wanted people? What's well, what the government considers the undesirable? Undesirable, like the, the lowest caste, you know. Of, Which is, of but who society. puts that on a? You know, what I mean, that's so messed up. Who puts that? Who puts a value on somebody's life? You know who? And that's the that's that's why I tell people when I forgot which president it was the 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 words that you should be most afraid of is I'm from the government. I'm here to help. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So that quote, you know you're about to lose all your money and all yeah, your possessions, yeah. all your privacy immediately. So when they're like, Hey, they're giving us this free thing to combat this other thing. Well, I'm going to probably sit that one out because look at this laundry list of things. I just did an episode on it. Do check out episode, whatever on the one-on-one podcast. They talk about MK ultra and all that stuff. So, and this is the stuff that we know about. Right. Imagine all the programs that we don't know about. That's the that's a, an amazing <laughs> point here, because MKUltra itself, we wouldn't know anything about it except. And this is one of the most suspect stories ever. We'll get into this uh, through the comic. But an assistant just discovers seven boxes uh, of MKUltra materials um, that Oof. leading up to like the church committee and all these different public hearings. And then the contents of those boxes then becomes public. And it basically establishes 99% of what we know about MK ultra comes from what they say is just some idiot forgot that seven boxes got stored in a closet <laughs> somewhere and then found years, years later. And one more thing before we head out, what you mentioned where it goes from academia to the main, you know, the main thing they're actually wanting to manifest whatever they're talking about in the books. They want to do it in real life. Well, it reminds me of the whole grimoire thing where, where these instructions, well, maybe they're meant to be taken uh, metaphorically, or there's going to always be that one guy. It's like, man, I wonder what happens if I do whatever this magical grimoire from the ninth century says to do i wonder what really happens you know what i mean so there's always that one guy who's going to push the envelope and want to actually do it for for real that's why there's signs on the highway of hey no walking on the highway because there's somebody who's walked on the highway you know all these stupid signs you see where it's like wait you would use your common sense when you're going through here you know a wrong way or one way you know there's people going and doing exactly what that sign says not to do so they have to put up these signs. You know what I mean? Like there's always going to be that one person in society who's going to do the opposite or whatever is told to them. When we're talking about academia, which instead of trying to like help that person, they would just set up like an observe, like observation committee <laughs> and like cameras to just like watch people do it over and over and analyze the patterns. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and, the, and then uh, before straying too far away from academia, it's a good point here that, academia and the intelligence agency is just like this never ending cycle where the intelligence agencies, you know, cherry pick from what, like the top of the most elite uh, final schools, you got, you know, skull and bones, for example, CIA just kind of like plucks out of them 
trains them and then they just spit them right back out into academia wow. again yeah. or into the military or into you know but but it really does start in academia that's where and in, in the highest levels where you know drug running and mind control you could argue that kind of all starts in education system so yeah there's it's not to be ignored here but again a whole another topic that will will set like a public education uh topic for another time mm-hmm. so so again this uh, chicago statesville penitentiary this was specifically on malaria and this study was cited by the nazis there in nuremberg like hey you guys did malaria studies too because we actually tried the nazis for testing malaria on people uh, while we did the exact same thing but because we gave them, you know, 25 bucks to do it. Uh, that was like, well, it's not the same as you guys. You know, we gave them 25 bucks and, you know, technically they were in jail. So they kind of didn't have an option, but whatever. So another version of this slightly later, 1942, we just start doing mustard gas tests. And again, if, if you look back on this first dude, um, Dusty Rhodes, he kind of was a pioneer in mustard gas research in general. So even though we're about 10 years later, this mustard gas research is a direct um, sort of evolution of Dusty Rhodes' original research. And this, again, targeted Blacks and specifically Puerto Ricans because it also extended into something called that San Jose Project of 1944, which was basically just a continuation of testing how um, Puerto Ricans would be affected by mustard gas. And these were, you know, unwitting people. They just got signed up for this. Can you talk a little bit about what mustard gas does? I have it pulled up here because it's it's really horrible what it does to you. I mean, mustard gas was the main sort of neurological agent that we developed and used in World War II. And the Nazis also, uh, I'm pretty sure that it was what they used in some of the gas chambers was essentially mustard gas. And then you have chlorine gas too. Mm -hmm. That was used before 1915. Yeah, and, and fun fact, you can make uh, chlorine gas and mustard gas uh, equivalents basically just like household materials. Wow. I, won't, I won't tell you what to pour into what, but you've probably got both of them in your house right now. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, crazy. So, so they're, just, they're just making mustard gas, and literally, it sounds so official when you talk about, you know, oh, the University of Chicago and Yale professors and the United States Army co-funded project endorsed by the blah, blah, blah literally they're just making mustard gas and giving it to people and being like all right let's see what happens um there's not a lot of prestigious aspect of this work i mean you take out the the dude with the lab coat that's like writing down his notes and all of a sudden it's just straight up torture right who benefits from uh, doing all this though obviously the government right nobody is anybody making money off of them using this stuff on the people uh i mean if you don't want to get in, if you want to get into the speculative sort of con- conspiratorial, we'll leave it like, for the end. Alien. We'll leave it for the end. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we'll leave it for the end. So, okay, so so far this has all been American specific studies, right? Every single one of these happened in America to Americans. Now we're gonna start talking about uh, the Germans. So we're we're rewinding back to the 1930s again, and here's this dude, uh, Dr. Hoffman, and and this name specifically um dr hoffman with an mk ultra research gets a little bit convoluted because there's technically like four different dr hoffmans depending on which year and which country that you're talking about this is sort of the og um you know nazi mk ultra drug experimenter and again i mentioned that the nazis tried to claim um the u.s malaria research as a way to like you know 
get the heat taken off them. Well, this is an example. He, in some of the concentration camps, he singled out Czechoslovakian Catholic priests, like specifically the clergy um, of the, you know, the Catholic clergy and gave them malaria for the exact same sort of experiments just to see what happens, how long you can last, um, you know, how quickly you can transmit it. Just, you know, the whole litany of reasons why they're doing this research. So this dude originally, and, and you're going to notice too, almost all of the ones that I, I cherry picked, at least the Germans that I cherry picked, they all get to live into old age. They all get to retire in their like in their seventies. <laughs> um, they all pretty much just change their names to like Schmidt or Jones or just something very non-German sounding. Uh, so you're going to see that also as a recurring theme where these guys that started this research they are the ones that understand the most about it. And since that's what our government cares so much about, they're not just going to throw that. First of all, they're not going to kill them because they don't want the knowledge to die with them. And they're not going to let them get captured by the Russians or by any other country because we want that information for us. So we basically have like these bidding wars with uh, other European countries and like, who's going to give this guy the sweetest, you know, uh, ride. Who's going to write him the biggest check to come and uh, live with them. Oh, it was like that, bro. Yeah, I mean, that, that we were essentially like, it was like trading baseball cards, you know, I'll give you two of these. So the draft pick. It was a, yeah, yeah bro, there was a, there was essentially a, a Nazi draft pick. And Whoa. that got split up between MK Ultra for the United States. But then also um, UK basically had their own version called Operation Matchbox. And instead of bringing them directly into London um, and, you know, sitting them up in, in an office in MI5, they would technically ship them out to Australia, take the heat off them a little bit, let them change their last name, <laughs> and then they could move back. Many times they could just move right back into Germany again, like almost untouched with a new name. And that's kind of what this guy um, did. He doesn't move to America, although he gets traded uh, around a few times, right? So he's a first-round draft pick for UK <laughs> in Operation Matchbox. And then like three or four years later, you know, the UK is like, all right, we've got what we need from them. U.S., you know, you can, you guys can have them. So we inherit them through an extension of paperclip in 1947. So now we kind of own Dr. Hoffman. And again, his specialty was malaria research. Um, he technically was one of the, the main inventors of what's now known as Agent White, Blue, and Orange. And Agent Orange being the defoliation agent that was used in Vietnam to kind of kill all the, the foliage so that we could see through uh, the helicopters, but it also ended up killing a bunch of our own soldiers. A herbicide. It was a yeah, it was a herbicide just because we were afraid that you know Charlies are in the trees, so we spray Agent Orange, <laughs> we kill all the trees. Now they don't have anywhere to hide. That was kind of the theory, but we get it all over our troops, and then the troops start dying, and until they open the um, the tomb of the unnamed soldier, uh, whatever it is, and then they detect agent so anyways long tangent on the vietnam war and agent orange but but this, real, this is the same dude real quick i just want to add that i think this is kind of cool agent white was an agent that appears in the matrix path of neo level in the video game so they use <laughs> agent white agent birds and ash like they have a whole bunch and obviously agent smith but i thought it was cool in one of the i think i believe it's a video game the matrix to be fair i'm pretty sure the cia has got an agent of every color every <laughs> word in the dictionary every animal <laughs> like they've they've been through every single option already so i'm still like hurricanes so these people are literally paving the way for modern warfare if you will 
they're they're ta- they're piggybacking off of all their ideas and just building on top of it unfortunately in order to what i believe leads up to atomic warfare with the whole atomic bombs and all these things nagasaki and hiroshima which is i think what they saw as the pinnacle right i think that i don't know if you agree with me or not but that's like the mac daddy of like wow oppenheimer was he also part of paperclip oh um, of course i mean if you're talking about paperclip that was that was the number one in ten it was um air warfare because we had just i mean the, the entire world had just transferred from airplanes to only being sort of a commercial civil thing into an actual military strategy so a we wanted to get all of their air warfare sort of information research and knowledge if you want to get into the ufo uh sort of topics we were absolutely interested in all of that but then (laughs) all of like all of these horrendous atrocities that they talk about in the uh concentration camps and like the gold and the artwork and everything i don't think that you know, the, the population in the U.S. was like, yeah, we're going to go in there and we're going to make things right and we're going to punish the bad guys. But really, the U.S. was like, oh, well, they've got all these spoils of war already. So now if we beat them, then we get their spoils. And those spoils being, you know, information, research, scientists, yeah. gold, artwork. Um, and very, you know, very much like America was the biggest winner of World War II mm-hmm. because – we got to take all the horrible stuff that the Nazis did and just take all the benefits they reaped from it and just take them over and put them in our country. And again, like divvy them up in, in like a draft pick. That's so fucked so, up, man. <laughs> so, so this is the OG Hoffman. And, uh, and again, he dies in 1967 of old age in Germany. He kind of had a cush ride. I think he had gone to jail um, for like three or four years in France or something like there were some struggles. Like someone would catch him and be like, "Oh, you're the Nazi guy," and he'd be like, "Oh, I got a free pass from UK and America." He looks like Dracula, dude. <laughs> yeah, that was my first note too, right? And uh, and another fun note here um, is that the main reason why this guy is so important is because he's one of the the oldest record military experimentations of LSD, and some of that LSD research and some of his other um, sort of like toxic research made its way into the assassination attempts at fidel castro one of them was like giving him lsd so that he would act like a like a crazy person on tv and lose (laughs) the support of his people there was also another one i think it was like thalidium or some chemical that was going to make his beard fall out and therefore the population would perceive him as like losing his masculinity and he would become effeminate if he lost his beard is that why you have the beard bro to like I mean that that was one of the, the theories of the CIA had been working on is that everyone liked his kind of like machismo feel yeah. of that that big beard. So if they made the beard fall out, then he loses that that whole aspect of his support. So and Bay of Pigs um, so is again, something completely different aside from MK Ultra, or does it also fall under MK Ultra? Uh, well, Bay of Pigs isn't specifically under MK Ultra, but there was a whole range of experiments that specifically um, surrounded around assassinating Fidel Castro through toxic chemicals, hallucinogens, and sort of like mind control techniques. So those specific, um, you know, aspects of trying to kill him fell under MK Ultra research. Okay. But there was other, you know, I mean, there was military operations of just like dropping in and shooting them that didn't necessarily fall under MK Ultra. Yeah, Bay of Pigs was in 61. Yeah, and, and imagine that MK Ultra is almost entirely like nerds, right? It's uh, it, there, there's not a lot of like big dudes with guns like running into your house and injecting you with uh, like adrenochrome or uh, mescaline or anything. It's just like 
that that really crappy professor that you had in school that's just like an absolute anal dick um that happens to be funded by the cia and you didn't realize that and it's just you know it's it's absolute you know chemistry nerds and and teachers and uh um not the typical military uh, personnel that you typically expect when you think about like oh it's a military operation these are people that you're working with in normal society it's your teacher it's you know everyone so okay so this is this is hoffman here's another dude he also um did operate he also did experiments on concentration camp victims and this is kurt plotner he was achieved ss rank so he actually got to be uh in warfare he was like the head of an assault unit essentially and he also worked on these malaria experiments so again another reference of when they were at nuremberg and they're like hey wait the united states did this too you know even before we did it in fact we got the idea from you guys um he was also ahead of something called department r which was uh like a top secret version of maybe a predecessor to some of the research that went to mk ultra i haven't found a lot of uh, information specifically on his department r but one of the things that he specialized in was testing mescaline and he was an interested not just in in mescaline hallucinogens but in schizophrenia research and when i found this dude my ears perked a little bit up just because my adrenochrome research you know f- matches almost directly with schizophrenia research and dementia research from again the mid 1800s into the early 20th century which is like right in the sweet spot of this guy so he's sort of the german version of a lot of the americans that we're gonna uh see come up and again <laughs> uh the recurring pattern he gets to live till 1984 he dies at old age of 79 uh his he renames his name he's kurt schmidt now instead of kurt friedrich Krotner. <laughs> he's just kurt schmidt and uh yeah he gets uh, moved over to the u.s by paperclip and gets to work directly with you know u.s scientists almost hand in hand with some of the other names that we're gonna pop up now so here's here's the first american that enters the story you've got these two german nazis that did some of the experimentation lsd and mescaline um and their journals essentially get found by the first um soldiers that go into the dachau concentration camp and um the other one was methausen i think they show up and they actually find a brochure that explains like here's what we're doing here's the research it was probably written for you know new interns that were coming in working for the ss to do these experiments it was like here's an overview of all the research that we're doing and some of that research um was all about these mescaline so anyways this guy henry beecher he works for the u.s his, uh, his original last name is actually Unangst. And if you look up the definition of Unangst, it actually means no fear, which I just thought was kind of interesting. And this, I mean, he changed his name way before he got involved in the military. He just thought that his last name was too hard to pronounce. So he wanted something that sounded easier. And I think Beecher had some connotation to like a sports team or something like some very Americana sounding. And again, this guy, um, even his last name's German. He was born and raised in the United States, but he just happens to have German roots. Uh, so anyways, he kind of specializes in this concept that pain and the way that humans feel pain isn't all entirely physical. Because prior to this point, a lot of people just assumed it was like the nerve endings and it was just completely a biological reaction and that certain people just had different pain thresholds. But he actually realizes that and this is kind of messed up. But as he sees soldiers leaving the battlefield with like, you know, life 
changing wounds like loss of a leg or uh perhaps like a mortal you know wound they uh they didn't require as much pain medication as someone that just had like minor wounds and the, the reason was because the people with the minor wounds they were able to just get patched up and sent back out into the battlefield the ones that had these hot like if i was missing my leg i know that i'm going home eventually like they're you're gonna send me like you're taking me off the battlefield and this amount of relief of no longer having to be on the battlefield outweighed like, the grievous bodily damage yeah and again the, the, here's this theme right of like you could be like <laughs> oh wow so you mean that we could use like positive emotions and positive reinforcement and affirmations to actually reduce the amount of pain someone feels but instead the dude's like oh like this just means that you know you can use fear and pain as like this like balancing act and let's push more onto this um, so it goes into this research specifically about pain being subjective, which you'll see like slowly molds into how to control the human mind. That's wild, dude. And this is post-World War II, right? Because World War II was... This is post-World War II because he's reading... He first gets um, presented with this information about these um, Dachau prison records about the mescaline testing and everything. Those were written in the 1945 by these previous dudes. Um, both of these guys, Hoffman and Plotner. Essentially, Plotner's work gets written down in this brochure. They rush in, you know, they, they close down the concentration camp. Two years later, those notes make their way to this wow. guy. Henry KB. So that's October 1947 is when he actually starts reading these notes going like, oh, wow, this thing that I already was kind of, I knew about, about like subjective pain, like mind over matter. Well, here I see the Nazis were doing like really intense, you know, in-depth research using mescaline, using LSD, using all of these uh, different drugs that he wasn't really necessarily aware of or using at this point. So this is when he takes all of the, the stuff that he kind of had in his head and all this research. And now he's the U.S. version of those previous two guys. He continues their research. And this isn't in the records anywhere. But I mean, again, this guy dies in 1967 of old age he gets traded to the uk and then he gets traded to the u.s so when he dies he's technically a u.s cia asset same with this guy um plotner he dies a u.s cia asset so for this guy to be reading the notes of those previous two continuing their research in some cases working at the same facilities that plotner worked at it almost feels like he was just like the intern you know they take insinuating yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any direct proof of that, but there's there's no way that this guy wasn't somehow indirectly mm -hmm. or directly working alongside yeah. um, these paperclip um, sort of scientists. I got you. I got you. And founded the concept of brain death coma. That's wild. That, that's, that's another, yeah, just a side note on this Beecher guy. When you hear about like, oh, they're a vegetable, unplug them, or after you've been in a coma for so long, he kind of came up with that entire premise of like, once you get past a certain point you know you turn to a vegetable um so that, it's, it's unrelated to mk ultra but it's it seems significant to this Henry really K. Beecher. or again un angst, no fear and and we're gonna it's which again is like his entire entry into this field was the relationship of fear and pain and the fact that his name was literally <laughs> no fear and he did this fear and pain research it kind of blew my mind wow so okay so so this is 47 
the United States is getting hardcore proof that the Nazis are testing with mescaline and LSD, and essentially they're looking for truth serums. Um, I mean, they were doing all kinds of things. You know, they, they were hopeful that they could make super soldiers and that they could implant memories and all sorts of ideas, but essentially they started to focus on truth serum. If we give someone drugs or if we torture them in these specific ways, they'll just start giving us information and they won't be able to hold back, even like the most battle-worn ones. So that was kind of the very simplistic premise. So the United States is like, all right, we're going to take that ball and we're going to run with it. Um, You know, you guys lost the war, but here's all that research. There's no sense in letting a good uh, crisis go to waste. So continue, you know, pulling that thing over to the sort of the, the goal line. So the U.S. Navy, they have two projects in the same year, 1947. One's called Project Chapter, which there's less known about, and one's called Chatter. And I, and I swear to you, I can't tell if there was just one project and someone misheard it and rewrote it because they sound so similar and so similar. And maybe there was like an old Xerox. Um, but there, there's so many references to each of these different things uh, around the same time, both by the Navy. So I kind of combined them here into one concept because there's not enough information on either of them specifically. But this is basically just the U.S. version of that Dachau um mescaline lsd research they they tried some other things of scopolamine which we talked about a a few times before that also induces like these unnatural states of fear comes from like datura and jimson weed and um hensbane i think like some of those and then um anabasine i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but it's essentially a relative of nicotine and again, they were just trying to see, like, what happens if I just give you so much of this, where you get so sick that you'll just start giving me information that, that I want to know from you. Um, so this was, like, the very first named project that, that we can kind of find that starts this evolution into MK Ultra. So Chapter and Chatter are owned by the Navy. Project Bluebird becomes sort of like the first huge mind control operation program that's recognized by the cia director it's not just some tiny little like niche thing that kind of evolved out of the world you know world war ii now it's like okay we're post-war and we want to continue this research in a new way for the new era so um we've got a picture here of richard helms one of the few cia directors that didn't die under uh interesting circumstances and he basically um, got he and he got this approved by the very first CIA director as he was leaving. So this was almost like again, like we're passing this ball or this torch from director to director, and it's like one of the many programs that they actually held very dear to them because you're going to see it encapsulate so many different things. And the specific goals, I, I summarize these, but in the actual documentation from Bluebird, four goals: one, prevent the unauthorized extraction of information so this is make sure our soldiers they get captured they won't give up you know state secrets Two, control an individual by special interrogation techniques uh we become freaking experts in this uh, you'll you'll see that like for some reason uh some of the people in the military were just very well you know um like their skill sets just adapted themselves well to just being absolute torture aficionados so like we did great on that one investigate memory enhancement didn't do so great on that one at least none of the published research or anything that got leaked out there might be some super memory experts out there but i think that also might be more academic 
but what you will see is that we figured out the opposite to this like we know how to just wipe someone's memory out or how to just turn someone into an idiot overnight through all sorts of fun and, and cruel techniques and then the last one was preventing hostile control of agency personnel this one is um this one's kind of a combination of not just making sure that prisoners of war can't give up information but this was like how do we make sure that our soldiers don't get intimidated by anything again no fear un angst um so this was like like one of the core pillars of what bluebird sort of started as and i want to add to that the cia was founded in july 26 of 1947 yeah so so again this this project chapter and chatter Oh, I'm sorry. You had it there. I didn't see that. See how you found it. Well, so yeah. So it's it's a it's a Navy thing, and you'll see like some of the first MK Ultra mind control projects start as joint operations between the newly formed CIA and the Navy specifically. So and the the Office of Naval Intelligence um, and the OSS, like some of those, like there was a combination of Navy and Army again, because before World War II we didn't really have um, air dominance. And, and again, like air was just be, it was just transitioning from civil into military. So it was predominantly army and Navy. That was like the big ones. When we found out that air was another important strategy. And that's essentially what won world war two was a lot of air warfare. Um, thanks. Thanks to Walt Disney for his explanation. Of some of that. <laughs> and uh, but, we, got, uh, we got president Truman soon recognized the need for a new fully functional post-war intelligence organization so in 1947, he signed the National Security Act, establishing the Central Intelligence Agency. So this is pretty recent, right? This is like not, it doesn't go as far back as I thought. Kind of. Well, well, I mean, before the CIA, there was the OSS. And before mm. the OSS, there was the OSI. And before the OSI, okay. there was like groups that had information and just didn't necessarily have like a public name. But by the time the CIA came out, I think it was like, Right, the entire world and the entire country kind of knows that we're doing dirty stuff. Um, so we're going to at least have to put a name on it and give them a nice little logo. And fast forward a, you've got CIA, you know, commercials uh, like being advertised on YouTube. Like, hey, come and join the CIA, you know? Really? But like that would have been unheard. Yeah, absolutely. I, you I should, haven't. You should look that up on a side. They've got like some some like woke uh commercials yeah. that are like made out of cartoons oh, it's and stuff. I, anyways i have the ad free youtube so that's probably why i don't see ads but <laughs> what well, what do you think was the cia in 19, in 1776 what well, do you think it was like the illuminati was that the cia version of of oh, no, the no. Time? i mean it was it was uh <laughs> freemasons right it was basically the the masonic lodges were those original information um, hoarding societies that would like defend the information and, and that was the information that would literally win wars wow um I, like like george washington was also not just a freemason but he was part of some other I, i'm gonna get the name wrong it was like the culpepper society or something um but again it was like all all of these like secret clandestine uh, objectives were always being done by secret societies so the cia and the oss is just like the military's official version of a secret society but then when it got so big that they kind of had to put a name to it, just like, you know, like Freemasons, like you can go and find their websites and you can drive by and they advertise themselves now. But it wasn't necessarily always the case because they used to meet in little taverns and you'd have to know when to show up and who to ask and who to give the handshake to. You didn't just get to drive by and see the emblem on the sides. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's kind of a similar progression here. 
so so anyways we've we've got project bluebird by um richard helms this is the the kind of the start of what we know as mk ultra because project bluebird is just going to get renamed like two or three times and then one of those final renaming rebrandings becomes mk ultra and that's the one that sticks for a while so project bluebird turns into project artichoke and here we've got we've got the ball passing again right so we've got the ball at helms gets passed over to alan dulles and alan dulles is like hey i fucking love this project so much that i'm just gonna name it myself and you know give it its own name so this is where we get artichoke from and at this point he also expands it not to just be an operation between the cia and the navy but now it's going to be the cia and the army the navy the air force just all different um, groups are all going to work together as a huge joint project so this is where it becomes a much more massive thing in scale it spans the entire military the entire intelligence agency and then he also dubbed this as brain warfare um, which is technically, you know, mind control by any other name. But here's the CIA director in charge of Artichoke, basically calling it what it is. What a what an interesting name, Artichoke, right? I've tried to, to look into the specific etymology behind the name of Artichoke and MK Ultra, MK Naomi, MK Delta. I haven't found any conclusive. Mm. Like, okay, that's definitely it. The the ones that always come to mind is the. the Apparently, Alan Dulles happened to like artichokes. Um, that one, that one just sounds too simple. The MK Naomi was named after an assistant that worked in an office of someone. Uh, her name was Naomi, maybe. Um, and that MK Ultra, I've heard one version that the MK stands for mind control with a K uh, because of its German roots that we inherited from the Nazis. Um, but then I've also heard that MK Ultra was literally just made up from just random letters and words just because that's something that the military tends to do or we just don't know the meaning behind it but those are those are some of the ex- explanations there's someone's like operation derby hat we'll get into like i got no idea where that name came from i'm sure there's a fun <laughs> story behind it so okay so we got bluebird turns into artichoke um at the same time of artichoke there's also castigate which it, it didn't necessarily like because as these things evolve right chapter and chatter they sort of um like they're these loose weird experiments that aren't well documented they didn't keep medical um records of them even on the personnel that went to the experiments because it was so top secret there was essentially no record on the individual like you know health um histories of the people that were involved in it but there were like high level research notes so we get bluebird and artichoke but once we get to Castigate, this one didn't get wrapped up. It was like out on its own thing still. It didn't get wrapped up into Artichoke yet. So it was still just a Navy CIA joint venture. And um, they basically were trying to make this special serum. And the the long story short is that it didn't work. That It was considered a failure. But they were basically using THC um, to give the people as a truth serum to see how that worked. And they found someone <laughs> they knew that was a double agent someone that they suspected was a double agent and then three defectors. And I, this happened in some uh, military base in Germany somewhere. And they just tried to extract information or who knows, like at the, the fine details of this don't really exist outside of that. They tried to like overdose these Germans on weed and it didn't turn out with a truth serum. Um, so that was just throwing stuff at the wall, right? That's what a lot of this military research starts out as is, 
You know, you just like, hey, let's give them a bunch of this drug and see what happens. And if it does something interesting, you keep doing it. Yeah, it's just like they it just made them really sleepy or something or really hungry. And they didn't even make them say anything. They, just, they would just fall asleep. They just kept watching Netflix. <laughs> right, watching the homunculus movie. <laughs> so here's um Project MK Naomi. And again, this one, I, I heard the rumor it was just named off of um one of Dulles's like secretaries or something but this this is an interesting one and I want to make a an important point here too that all of this MK Ultra research and all the sub projects and related projects is not necessarily like written in stone anywhere there's some MK Ultra specific docs that you can get through um Freedom of Information Act requests and they have some of the details here, but you can also find conflicting documents in the exact same information request that'll say like one project happened in different years or that it focused on different things. Um, and then a lot of the other research is kind of pieced together from all sorts of dubious and incomplete sources. So depending on what research, like all of that stack of books that I showed you, um, like three of them might agree that they were all these sub projects of MK Ultra, but when you actually look and see, okay, what was sub project 35? Um, they might all disagree on what that one was and it gets shuffled around. This one says 35 was 48 and this one mixes it up. And I'll, I'll show you a, an ex, a better example of that, but this is one of the first ones. So project MK Naomi, there's this concept that they technically had two different objectives, probably more, but two that we know about, and those two objectives, they didn't tell. So it was like, hey, Juan, you know, you're going to go and research if you can figure out like a truth serum. And then they send me on if I can figure out like a deadly flesh eating virus um, that I can inject into like a water supply or something like they put us both under the same project name for funding reasons and for research reasons. But okay. we don't talk to each other. Our yeah. research doesn't even really relate necessarily. So that's an example here is that. One version of Naomi was they were trying to make like weapons and like toxic darts and they were like um, harvesting the toxins from like the puffer fish that they find, you know, out in Asia and using all of these. And I don't know if you've ever seen like the heart attack gun that mm -hmm. they've got like um, the CIA and the church hearings and he holds it up and it's like supposed to be able to shoot a toxin with a bullet made out of ice and it melts and the person just has a heart attack. That kind of um, sort of originates right here with this MK Naomi research. Now, on a sidetrack from this, allegedly, uh, Sidney Gottlieb, which is going to become uh, a common name here, he's he's grandpa of MK Ultra. He sort of was like the one that was doing all the coolest stuff. He also kind of gets his first uh, kick into the CIA working on microorganisms with the capacity to kill. That was kind of his objective originally. Sounds familiar. So, <laughs> so enter Sidney Gottlieb. Yeah, uh, we're not going to mention any of those. We can mention his name because he's been dead for a while, but we can't mention the other uh, living guy's name that sort of does the same thing yeah. today, right? <laughs> so MK Naomi, MK Delta is uh, basically our MK Ultra experiments that we do outside of the country um off of the quote-unquote mainland although not all of them happen outside of the mainland um delta has even less information than almost anything else but it leads directly into the big freaking daddy um which is mk ultra so mk ultra is the one that everyone likes to cite it's the one that gets its name out in the media the most it's got album names and you know albums and books and movies written about it but really mk ultra 
is just a renamed version of all these different things that we just kind of went over chatter and chapter um, that turns into bluebird, which turns into artichoke, which turns into um, maybe Naomi. Like once Naomi hits, everything else kind of the, starts to kind of sprawl. There's also MK search, which comes after this, but MK ultra is the umbrella term to cover all of these other things that we mentioned, even going all the way back to bluebird MK ultra still remains the umbrella term that, includes bluebird what would your choice of government project name be i'm thinking project cuckold or something like that what do you what do you what would be your go-to bro probably like fiddlesticks or just some (laughs) something that just sounds like very fun and jovial but in fact you're just injecting malaria directly into people's eyes yikes dude but it would would just sound better than like project castigate like oh i'm on i'm operation fiddlesticks what are you working on well so castigate is to punish or reprimand somebody severely i looked it up and then ultra if you look it up means an extremist short for ultra marathon or adverb very extremely the play was not just boring it was ultra boring so i'm gonna look up the etymology but it's just it's something that's stuck around right for a very long time and it sounds cool <laughs> unfortunately it sounds dope you know like mk ultra like well, and i don't think anyone even knew what mk ultra was by name until the uh the church hearings um which was like 70s so prior to that you wouldn't even know what mk ultra meant it wouldn't it wouldn't be a buzz term and it still didn't become one until a common theme again like Hollywood and pop culture gets a hold of it and starts repeating it in movies and books and fiction. And then it becomes sort of like a well-known thing. So this is the, the perfect segue to go into the, uh, the comic here, which is going to be a recap on some of the stuff that we went over and then um, going into some newer stuff. So you can just go to mkultracomic.com and that should pull up this uh, paranoid pamphlet. And if you also notice at the bottom of the pages as we go through. So I'm going to go to the first page here. Um, if you scroll down on a lot of the pages, oh, it dope. gives a lot more context about like everything that's happening on this page. It links to some different books that talk about those specific topics. So again, this is um, a, a much abbreviated version of some of that detail that we just went over. So World War II ends and america basically become the victors of the world war ii and with the victors go the spoils so part of those spoils was that we get all of this nazi research and one of the big ones that a lot of people know about in paperclip was like rocket research and rocket science and that's how we were able to win the space race and that's how we were able to um, get to the atomic bomb faster but really all of this um, also kind of uh shares their nazi research into chemicals and into biowarfare into torture into psychological aspects so it wasn't just the uh the rocket science which is the one that that people tend to recognize the most and then this is talking about how we just take the nazi research you see on the left here where we've got a nazi scientist and then on the right is just the exact same version, but now it's um, an American scientist doing it in front of an American flag. <laughs> you know, it's it's the it's the exact same pose, the same table, everything. And again, we're just taking people that don't even realize they're signing up for this uh, most of the time. For the Americans, we originally started doing it to our own enlistees. So you would enlist into the military, and we just look at you like, okay, you're our property now. We can do whatever the hell we want with you. And one of the things we want to do with you is just inject you with mescaline. 
Um, that so. was part of Tuskegee too. They were promising them right to go to the to the army, I believe it was. I mean that lots of unfulfilled promises. Just again, even like modern day military. Uh, the I got I went into the military too, and it was also based on a lie. Uh, the recruit that's kind of a known thing though is that like don't believe anything a recruiter tells you but sometimes it doesn't make as much sense when you're 16 or 17 or in these cases you're an impoverished person that's never even seen a government agent of any kind um coming to say they're going to help you out you know hey i'm here from the government and i'm here to help <laughs> who was that nixon or what president <laughs> was that i don't i don't know but it's reagan i think it was i'll look it up so this uh it goes into project chatter which we talked about um and some of those drugs too we didn't mention but like heroin here so again that theme of injecting someone with the the problem just so that you can study the problem so again this is the united states we would take enlistees and we'd get them they would be sober right like they've never done drugs in their life they join the military we inject them with morphine and we just get them addicted to heroin again, to see how long it takes, what the effects are. And then we force them to go through withdrawal um, just to see like what the effects are and how long it takes. And I mean, I couldn't even imagine going into the military and then like your first mission is get addicted to heroin. And then your second mission is go cold turkey and get unaddicted to heroin. Um, And then maybe if you're lucky, they throw you into the LSD research right after that. So, so again, these, original project chatter before mk ultra got its name we were already experimenting on our own troops heroin marijuana sodium pentothal mescaline scopolamine which is that that terror drug so this one we just got a renaming of chatter into bluebird and then we get another couple renamings bluebird finally becomes mk ultra and one of the uh, the other cool aspects here of leading up into mk ultra being named is the government, the United States government, literally buys the entire world supply of LSD-25 from Sandoz Laboratories. Um, So at this point, we know that the Nazis have been experimenting with LSD, and there might be something to it. And we do some of our own little minor experiments, and they're very promising. Where'd they get it from? So they get it from Sandoz Laboratories, uh, which was the Swiss laboratory, which is, you know, the, the, the... the funny old guy on the bike that discovered LSD in his laboratory and he drove his bike home. Um, he also, you know, one of the, the other parts of that story that's not so fun is that he signs a contract with the CIA and says here, and now I'm going to give you guys all of the LSD that we manufacture uh, over like the next year or whatever. So, so literally the United States has the entire world supply and a monopoly on LSD 25 for quite a while. And the Nazis were buying it from them before that. Uh, the Nazis' actual source is uh, not, you know, not specifically known. At least not by me, because I don't read enough German to go through their records. But mm. likely they had um, a, a different source for it, because the LSD that we got from Sandoz Laboratories was synthesized. But LSD is also naturally occurring as ergot um, in you know mold and rye. So there, so there was known organic sources, but there was not a known. Uh, synthetic source i don't think Although, again this is early 1930s so like the discovery could have found other back channels and other people could have known how to synthesize it but um conventionally hoffman is known and, and that's one of those overlapping names because this is a different hoffman this is albert hoffman um, the <laughs> swiss scientist that works at sandoz laboratories who also experiment with lsd he just didn't do it 
as a Nazi because he's a Swiss chemist. Um, and he gets, you know, he's almost like the, the United States politicians that kind of get to pretend that they were above all of the horrible research, even though they indirectly might have uh, helped it out a little bit. But, you know, he gets to be Switzerland. He gets to be neutral. Interesting. So, and one of these points, I mentioned that NK Delta, and there's a few other ones that talk about doing research overseas and not just in America. And one of the the cases that I think Abarelli brings up in his book, which is one of my favorites, is this 1951 Pont Saint Esprit. And the the concept is that this entire town goes um, completely insane for like a full day. Um, people are crashing their cars. People are just like absolutely not acting normal. And it's the entire town, not just a few. So like the the immediate research goes into ergot poisoning. They said that some of the wheat that was being used to make their bread got that ergot, which naturally turns into LSD, and that the people that ate that bread, you know, kind of like went temporarily insane. But what what uh, is proposed that actually happened is the CIA takes, you know, they've got the world supply of LSD, and what does the government do when they've got a whole bunch of like toys or stuff to play with? Does it go out and play with it? So they dump a bunch of LSD into the water supply of this this small little French town. And now everyone that consumes anything in that town gets a massive dose of LSD. And essentially the entire town just has a LSD trip together uh, over the course of like 72 hours. And this is one of the, the few places where you can almost point to here's the LSD just doing mass or here's the CIA doing massive experiments on sort of just like civilians, non-warfare even. It makes me think of mass hysteria cases. And I'm looking at here at 1950s to 2000, right, where, where it's around this time. And you have various accounts of... There's, the one that stood out to me was the... I can't say this name right. Tang Yak, Tangin Yika Laughter Epidemic from 1962, which was around this time, right? Like... 50s 60s and it was that these girls started laughing and it spread through the entire school affecting 95 to 159 pupils aged 12 to 18 and these symptoms lasted from a few hours to 16 days in those affected bro so it makes me think of like in april and may 217 people had laughing attacks in the village most of them school children young adults and there's the June bug epidemic, a mysterious disease broke out. So it makes me think of the, these things that break out around the world. Was it was it something natural or was it something that was started by, look at this, the points. I never heard of that until I read the, the pamphlet. I'd never heard of that. But there are similar, there are similar things around the world that kind of fit into that where people go crazy. Uh, the mass hallucination of... There's been stories of people, large groups of people who see crafts, right? And the little aliens land down. It's like, was that a hallucination? A mass hallucination? <laughs> What's well, the the whole town that, that thought they were seeing like leprechauns in the tree? Or <laughs> <something>. <laughs> well, I'm saying that there's examples of it all throughout history. So it makes you wonder because if they're willing to do this to their own people, their own citizens, you you were saying that they would recruit people back then and do things to them in the army or whatever, armed forces, whatever. If they're willing to do that to their own people, what are they not willing to do to an animal or to others? You know what I mean? Like that, that you have, people have to take that into consideration. That's why I tell 
a lot of people don't trust the government. You know, don't don't just blindly follow whatever and follow the science. And that's how they get you with the we, we did the crowd. We covered the crowd. The prestige gets the people this prestige of, hey, and the charisma and all that stuff gets the people to react a certain type of way. So when again, who who was the writer and the audience for the crowd? It was academia. You know, that wasn't mm-hmm. written for politicians or or anyone with power. It was purely an academic uh, sort of um, adventure. And that's that's where all this stuff starts out. It's always like, oh, I, I just want to do a little experiment. And then all of a sudden, you've got like a full uh, sort of global genocide happening because someone wanted to do a, a little academic experiment. And all at so, the same time, right? Speaking of comics, we have, was it, what year was Captain American made? Wasn't it for battling the Nazis or something like that where they inject this guy and he becomes ripped? And he's like a superhuman. Yeah, to fight the Red Skull. Yeah, he's yeah. essentially like the the Nazi occultism personified into like mm-hmm. you know he he was like the occult Hitler essentially. Yeah, dude. So yeah, another another tangent we can get onto. So so Point Esperit was just an example of one of the early versions of the CIA having fun with its massive uh, supply of LSD. Like it's got this LSD, it's going to start using it. So that's one of the the first examples of where it may have used it. Um, then we've got this Operation Midnight Climax. So you'll, you'll see here that this is what's called a subproject three. So under MK Ultra, this big umbrella term that already encompasses a whole bunch of previous um, projects. But on top of all of that, there's a specific list of around 150 different subprojects, each focusing on a very different aspect Typically, each of those um, has a different location, has a different budget, um, has a different person that's in charge of it. And sometimes the person in charge of it doesn't even know that they're working with the CIA or that they're in charge of like a specific subproject. So here's one of the examples is this guy, George Hunter White, which I, we will go on a tangent after I get to the end of this booklet. I'll show you a, a whole mini comic just written about George Hunter White. But George Hunter White is kind of like this rugged uh like if you ever seen the the shield like the main character from the shield uh the, with the bald head i can't remember his his uh vic um like he's kind of like that bulldog cop that you just like let into the interrogation room and the criminals like oh crap like they know they're gonna get their ass beat like right then and there like he's that guy right he he just dealt with um like mafiosos and he he allegedly joined like a secret society of like asian ninjas or something when he was in new york and like he he's got this crazy (laughs) backstory but this guy like when when he's in his like 30s or 40s i believe he gets recruited by the cia and he he kind of was already running with the dregs of society so he knew like hookers and and pimps and drug dealers and he just kind of like knew everyone because he existed in that world that was you know that was his like he was a fish and that was his water so the cia sees this guy and like you know we would love to see what happens if we get some high-ranking military officers um so if we we're gonna dose them with lsd at a club somewhere we're gonna have one of your you know pimps or your whores go and like seduce them and bring them back to an apartment and in this apartment, the dude had a one-way mirror that you would be able to sit there. He would actually sit in this little room and just observe what was happening in this apartment. And there would just be crazy, like, orgies and parties. Think and, it was jerking off, bro? I mean, I mean, he he literally had a porta potty brought into the room so he could he could shit while he was watching 
uh, all this happened. So I wouldn't doubt that he just did every sort of biological, uh, <laughs> you know, process in that room while this was happening. So, Yikes. so anyways, he, he gets paid to give people LSD, um, you know, secretly dose them, then hire prostitutes to kind of lure them back and then just see if they can extract, you know, secrets from them. And this also, I mean, that's one very specific goal, but he also had fun with it. You know what I mean? Like he's living in San Francisco and he's got all this LSD and he's got a, like basically a get out of free jail card from the government. It's like, go and have as much fun as you want. Uh, again, th- this dude has the most incredible backstory that we'll jump into, but for the, the premise of MK ultra, he just happens to be the guy in charge of this sub project three likely unknowingly but he also trained so many freaking cia agents around this time that he might as well have been like a director of this like a unknown you know shadow director mm-hmm. of the cia by any other name and a lot of people um, know of this particular project be- i think because of rogan rogan's brought it up so many times that he's talked about mk ultra right quote unquote but he the one that he always refers to is this operation midnight climax and it reminds me of what epstein was doing right in the Zorro Ranch, there was entire rooms full of computers, and allegedly they were recording all the sexual stuff that was going on with people there. That a lot of people were raped there, sexually assaulted, and molested at this Zorro Ranch in New Mexico. So, and is that is that me staticking or is that you? Because I'm getting like me. I'm I think not sure. Is it you or me? Test, test, testing. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so, so, and I, you brought that up. This was all being recorded too. So this wasn't just a dude sitting behind a table having fun. Like yeah, this yeah. was all being recorded, mm-hmm. mostly audio. So here's this natural progression. Now we're gonna we're gonna see that the CIA starts testing on more criminals. So again, um. We had before before the MK Ultra started. We had those Chicago studies, many many other examples where the government would just prey on prisoners and entice them with money or shorter sentences. So here in the 1960s, the MK Ultra is specifically doing more of this testing with LSD, mescaline, all sorts of other kind of interrogation techniques that fell under some of those bullet points. And among many other notable names, some of the people involved here was. Whitey Bulger, the um the the well-known criminal from Black, the movie Black Mass, where Johnny Depp plays him, I believe, or Johnny Depp's in the movie. I don't know if he plays him. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, who went to Harvard, nineteen fifty-nine to sixty-two, where they were doing these tests, and Timothy Leary. And there's also um, some later versions of this where you can pull Timothy McVeigh in. But I want to I want to mention that this MK Ultra pamphlet. I really did limit it to just the things that were the most easy to verify and look up without doing a lot of speculation. So these three names, Woody Bulger, Ted Kaczynski, and Timothy Leary, um, were some like direct ones that you can look up very easily yourself. Interesting choice of of a crowd, right? Ted Kaczynski, and, and I, I can see why Timothy Leary, but do you know why Kaczynski? Uh, well, he was just a smart person. He was in academia. And again, at this point, he wasn't the Unabomber. He was just a really smart guy uh, mm. going to, to college. Mm. And and he, in fact, um, some of the things that went through, because I, th- I think the experiment that he was involved in was that he would go to this, this class and it was just a, a, a mental 
um, like a psychological torture class. Like it wasn't named that obviously. It was you know like student study or something. But you'd show up and they would. And I'm gonna paraphrase this a little bit just to make it simple. But you'd show up to like do a test or perform some task. He did that. He performed the task exceptionally well. But the teacher would just chastise you. He would just say that everything you're doing is wrong. It's horrible. And there would be no rhyme or reason. You'd come in the next day and do a great job. And then you'd get commended. You'd come in the next day and then he'd yell at you again. So like the, it was it was just basically like, hey, let's see what happens if we take these high performing students that are mm-hmm. like under high pressure that always expect the most out of themselves. And we just tell them they're doing a shit job and everything they're doing is wrong and it's horrible and that I can't believe that you even show me, you know, what are you, an idiot? And it was like very much this very like over the top negative responses to just like neutral, you know, input. So he kind of cites that uh, indirectly, I think, in, in not maybe not in his manifesto, but in like some interviews and stuff that like that experience that he went through, it like changed him in a way. Um, which, you know, maybe he was, maybe he just was like already on a thin line and all it took was someone <laughs> to just mess with his head a little bit. But an argument could be made that if he did not get messed with mm-hmm. by this MK ultra specific program that got funded by MK ultra money that we might not have had the Unabomber, at least not in that same, you know, capacity. Well, um, and a couple other notable, I mean, again, the, the list of people that were directly involved with some kind of MK ultra research, uh, goes on forever, but we got Ken Casey, um, who wrote um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the movie with Jack Nicholson, where they go to like an insane asylum. It's got Nurch Ratchet. He based some of his experience from um, this study, and it kind of like led into some of the writing that went into that book, and it later became a movie. And then also Robert Hunter of The Grateful Dead uh, was also that the two of them were in the exact same study, and they basically just gave them um some drugs and just kind of observe them but i think they both reported that it wasn't a very great time because instead of like getting the drop acid and hang out and play guitar and like you know like hang out with your friends you would just like sit in a clinical environment with a bunch of scientists standing around like taking notes on you uh so it wasn't necessarily the same kind of lsd cycle you know psychedelic revolution that we kind of get used to hearing about that comes with like timothy leary and everyone afterwards yeah, I never heard of this guy. I'm looking up here. The one flew over the cuckoos. Nest if you haven't seen the movie, definitely watch the the movie. It's again, it gets into like dementia uh, research, um, and the the culmination was essentially at that time. I think the movie's from like the 70s. Is that once one of these mental institutions gave up hope and they were just like, you know what, this guy can't be fixed. They would literally just drill a hole into your head Yikes. and extract part of your brain and give you a lobotomy. And when that procedure was over you just became very docile it's it's kind of what they did to like hysterical mm. housewives the husband would bring the wife in like you know my wife's hysterical i don't know what to do with her and they can't fix her eventually they she just gets a lobotomy it was a very crude practice that sort of just like slowly dissipated out of a of public sphere like it didn't go through one of those same you know horrendous like the entire public has an outcry it just kind of like get whittled away and i'm I'm pretty sure we still do versions of lobotomy mm-hmm. in that movie or surgical in the movie. I told you about homunculus. It starts with that, with they drill a hole in the front of his skull and it gives him a sixth sense. So he's able to see the homunculi that attach themselves 
to people. It's really trippy where you got to check it out, but it kind of reminds me of that because about drilling the hole in there, right? With the third eye or, or the pineal gland. And I've also heard Manly P. Hall talk about it in the times of Lemuria where they would have this antenna protruding out from the front of the skull. And that's why children, they have that open there. They're able to perceive things a little bit more what, paranormal. What, and, and it's, a, and it's a, I don't know how scientific of a fact this is, but I, I read a scientific fact that uh, children do have much larger pineal glands than adults do. Um, so like over time, but th- this is going to go on a, a, a whole different tangent. So back to, back to MK ultra. <laughs> we love tangents, bro. <laughs> so, so MK ultra is, it's already going great. We've got all these different sub projects going in the United States. And if it's like any other enterprising, uh, you know, American corporation, the CIA is like, Hey, we need to expand global. You know, we need to take this operation and bring it overseas. So we've got, Operation Third Chance, which is kind of like Western Europe and Germany, is like our extension of MK Ultra out there. We've got Operation Derby Hat, which is MK Ultra in Asia and the Pacific Islands. Um, so that again, like everything, we're gonna just keep saying MK Ultra, but depending on what the project um, was about and where it happened and who was behind it, it gets its own little name under this big umbrella. And then finally one of the very first documented um, CIA agents on record that mentions MK ultra by name is this guy, John K Vance. And I, I try to do more research into him. I mean, it seems like he was a real person uh, cause I can find the obit that lines up and everything, but you know, believe it or not, they don't have like a detailed history of like, here's the CIA agent when he was hired and when he got hired for, Interesting. you know, uh, but, but John K Vance, he specifically calls MK Ultra distasteful and unethical um, because he gets put onto a project. He starts looking over like, wait, what do you guys want me to do? You want to give me what? Like, give what to who? Hold on a second. <laughs> so he's like one of the first dudes, you know, going back to the 30s. Um, he's the first one. So like over 33 years later, finally one dude stands up and he's like, wait a minute, something about this doesn't seem very ethical. No, I think there was uh, more, bro. There's got to be other well, people who were like, this is fucked. Let's well, do it anyways. That... <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, how big was that, Shaq? Yeah, <laughs> you dude. You had another zero? Okay, no problem. <laughs> um, so, so 63 is kind of like one of the first instances where the cat's starting to come out of the bag a little bit. But by 64, just to point all these different people, like the Ken Casey's and the Timothy Leary's, some of them weren't idiots and and they walked away from these experiences and they were like, wow, man, that thing they gave me was something else. I'm going to find more about that thing. And they did. And they didn't have to go to the CIA to find it. And a lot of them um, actually end up contacting the exact same Sandoz laboratories that the CIA gets their original world supply of LSD from. Well, you know, one or two decades later, they just hit up that same dude. They're like, Hey, you got any in stock? And they're like, oh yeah, we've, we're stockpiled now. And then you just order it for themselves. Um, so, so this is kind of where this psychedelic revolution is, is in, you know, in part kind of fueled by MK ultra and the LSD research and just it's out on the market. You know, the, the, the demand is way up. So the supply is also going way up. And to speculate here a little bit, because you said 1964, right? The, this LSD drug is introduced into society, right? It's like the, the next biggest thing. Do you think that 
the government at one point, because they had bought the entire global supply at one point, do you think that they sold some of it at one point? Like they were making money off of selling LSD to people? Uh, maybe, although honestly, I think it was so cheap that, and they, they had so many other ways of getting money that the, like it would have been way more valuable to just give it out for free and find out what the effects mm. were than it would be to try and sell it. Because even if they sold it, they would be way more interested in following that dude around. They just sold it to and like figuring out like how he does it and how mm. he reacts to it. So um, I don't think it, it wasn't like a, like a 1980s crack CIA selling crack to fund uh, like an illegal <laughs> contra war or anything. I don't, I don't necessarily think it was that it was just so, so easy and cheap to synthesize colorless odorless tasteless you could all you could just put like a single drop into someone's drink they would mm-hmm. never even know it um so it was just so easy and and uh and fun i assume and when when did they put it in that city water the supply of some city was that true or am i getting that wrong uh, st paul esprit that's this one right here in 1951 no but wasn't there one in the states that they did that to or they put uh, it in the yeah, water so- I got a note on that. I think it was Operation Big City, or it might have. Uh, as we get beyond the '60s, when MK Ultra is supposed to have like shut down, sure. we got a bunch of other like tailing ones. All right. Some of them put it in the water. Some of them would. Uh, one of them strapped a like basically like a Roman candle or like you know like a tube mm-hmm. to the back of a car, and as the car drove around, it would just spray LSD oh, uh, into the air. There was one in a subways. They were just going to set off like a bomb that just had LSD in it and see how quickly it would spread through the subway system because they all kind of like share mm-hmm. the same air and see how people would move around the city. And so there's a couple of those. Interesting. So, so MK Ultra, um, these two panels are just kind of showing how it keeps sprawling. So MK Ultra starts to get this uh, negative light on it because of that Vance guy that reports, hey, this unethical stuff is going around. And of course, the CIA, instead of like, oh, we need to shut this down, they're just like, let's just rename it to something else and people won't be able to figure it out. And that's kind of what happens. So it gets renamed or or it gets like diverted a little bit into MK Search. Um, and then MK Search splits into MK Often and MK Chickwit. And there's a whole bunch of other MKs. And some of them might have just been like the financial arm that did the investigation and raised the money. And then the other ones were like the ex, you know, the actual operational arms, but these all kind of get lumped into as MK ultra continues to sprawl across and grow. These are the, the other kind of like MK projects. And then some of the, I'm going to go over all the sub projects um, and we won't go into all of them in detail, but I'll go over the, all the ones I know about, but some of my favorites is sub project 136, which focused on ESP um, and it also researched into multiple personalities and hypnosis. And this is specifically getting into like implanting false memories, um, triggering people to have uh, disassociative identity disorder. A lot of this gets into like programming assassins that you can like switch into one alter, turn them into like a Jason Bourne and then switch them back into like a more, um, you know, neutral alter that just seems like a regular everyday Joe. Well, we've got good. There's a reason why they make those type. You you mentioned Jason Bourne. There's a reason why they make those type of movies, because I believe that they're able to do these things. And look at the the most recent one, Stranger Things. That's kind of MK Ultra Montauk Project-esque, where they're using this girl 
her powers, right, to open up other dimensions. We'll, we'll, we'll get there because technically, <laughs> that's technically that's from Project Monarch, mm. which is more of like a speculative um, branch off of MK Ultra that, oh, that goes after MK Ultra gets shut down. So we're we're gonna get into that. It's not in this pamphlet because again, the pamphlet is is supposed to have the least subjective of the information. Okay. We're gonna, yeah, we'll go deep on on Monarch right after this too. Awesome. So. So two or three other my favorite cherry picks, biophysics of the nervous system. So again, this is like researching, like how can we just affect people's central nervous system as a whole? Um, use of electrodes. So this is shock therapy. African attitude studies, which is basically what that sounds like. Um, handwriting analysis, which sounds really boring. But again, this shows that like the CIA was interested in analyzing human thought and behavior in all of its forms and even today handwriting analysis um can be used and you know trying to like show someone's guilty or show their intent behind a letter or their personality so the cia was all about that um 139 bird diseases uh like avian flu anyone uh this i mean they were researching bird diseases way back into the 60s and before all again as part of like biological uh, warfare research yeah, and, and that then, the handwriting analysis, that's why a lot of criminals would just use the, the newspaper letters, right, to, to write their ransom letters or whatever. The ransom, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but that's, that, so that, there's two aspects of that. That's the handwriting analysis of, like, making sure that one person's writing is matched up with another mm-hmm. sample so you can prove it. But this version of handwriting analysis is like, oh, they use, like, wide loopy letters so they're probably more of like a lazy he's or gay person he's, yeah yeah he's that guy, a gay, that guy's gay. <laughs> he draws little hearts on his eyes yeah um or it's like if you're reading a manifesto it's like oh those what they call like short staccato letters mm. implies aggression or implies mm, you know schizophrenia or so a couple other ones um i think almost everyone that's gone a little bit deep on mk ultra has come up with the Stimosiever by uh, Dr. Jose Delgado, where they basically put an implant. You can find a video of this somewhere where they give a bull an implant and they have him rush at um, one of the scientists and he's holding up like, you know, the red sheet or whatever. And as the bull's rushing, they just hit a freaking button on a remote control and the bull just stops dead in its tracks. And they, they kind of purported this as like, oh, we can control the animal remotely with, you know, remote control. And like it sounds fancy and the video is impressive, but essentially they were just uh, administering an electroshock to the bull's brain from like very far away. So the bull's rushing and all of a sudden it's getting electrocuted. So it stops and it's like, what the hell's going on? But this research continues through today where you can see they do this on cockroaches now. Um, and essentially it's the exact same experiment, except they've gone down to a smaller scale. So instead of just like, shocking the entire cockroach's brain if they want the cockroach to turn left they can trigger a very specific part of it that basically simulates like what its antenna would send back to its brain which again is just an electrical impulse so they really can remotely control animals you know organic animals with like a, a game controller essentially Doing it to monkeys and it kind bro. of started with this he did that to monkeys and yeah so i'm not going to go on that tangent too but like the the monkey experiments get crazy um, that's that's basically an extension of this original um, Delgado research, and another another version of this uh, research. So this was like, um, this is like getting your hand slapped, right? The bull's rushing towards the guy with the 
the sheet and to stop him, you give him a shock. So it's like, I feel pain. I'm going to stop what I'm doing to, to address this pain sensation. Well, there was another version by Evor Browning and they called it the electronic carrot. And uh, if, if you've ever heard of the, uh, this latest story of like the chess master that like cheated by uh, well, essentially he was using an electronic carrot um, to do his cheating in his ass, bro. It's all right. You can say it. So, well, I don't know, Patreon, you too, I don't know if you're trying to get monetized by Pfizer. Who cares? So, so, so the electronic care was basically taking a wireless dildo and sticking it up a donkey's ass and then rewarding it every time it did something good by zapping the dildo and giving, making it, you know, giving it a climax. So they could just hit a button and the donkey would ejaculate, like, on command. Dude. And they would use that as a positive reinforcement training versus the negative reinforcement training represented by that stim receiver. Whoa, bro. Could you imagine how that, that takes the project midnight climax to a whole nother realm. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, where It says it, it involved triggering the pleasure center. It's basically just a wireless dildo that's connected to the donkey's uh, prostate. G, yeah, G-spot, bro. You found the yep. donkey. G- <laughs> that's fucked up. So here, here's another one. There was a subproject 102 was a study of adolescent gangs that was done by the University of Oklahoma. And then another one that involved children, 103 children's summer camps, where they literally took kids from all over the country, in some cases from over the world, and put them in these summer camps um, and then just sat there and talked to them and observed them and asked them questions about what they thought about the world and their lives. And just, you know, just getting a general temperature check from the youth of all different cultures. And it was advertised as like, you know, this free summer camp to send your kids to, but it was 100% a CIA operation to just spy on kids. Um, And then we've got vocational studies in children, cultural influences in children, these were all just to observe children. And again, this all kind of happens in academia. Um, and academia is where you start, you know, this is like you, can, you send your kids through academia. And then as they turn into adults, all they've ever known is academia. So this, again, is just that that big recycling wheel just constantly going. So these are the, those are the kid experiments. We mentioned uh, Fidel Castro and that Nazi scientist that we held on to and he got to die of old age he was involved in some of these experiments and some of those experiments again fell under this mk ultra so one of the examples here is an exploding seashell so like there was going to be a conch and the idea was that like someone was going to get him to like listen to the ocean and the conch shell or something <laughs> and then it would explode it's very wily coyote sort of um but then again they were just like throwing stuff at the wall they couldn't um, just get somebody to walk up to him and shoot him, bro? I mean, no. Uh, because he was so loved by everyone that he was able to surround himself by. I mean, the first white gringo that hops off a plane, even if he's 40 miles away, they're like, you're here to kill Castro, aren't you? You know. So there was there was definitely an aspect of that. And, and they found it very hard to try and convert Cubans to go back over into Cuba and take him out as well. It was It was a conundrum, you know? Wow. Um, so some of the, the other ones that, that I briefly mentioned before, but they wanted to spray his entire TV studio down with LSD where he did his like normal TV addresses to the population. And they figured that if he could just get everyone in the TV studio just tripping their nuts off, that he would just look like an idiot. And then the U.S. could start kind of chipping away at his personality because he very much had this cult personality. 
um, thallium. Yeah, they wanted to soak his shoes in thallium so the thallium would be absorbed by his feet and travel through his bloodstream and then make all of his hair fall out. Um, and then there was even part of MK Ultra. They also did all sorts of research into like palmistry and and witchcraft and sort of occult studies. One of one of them was on like a Western African like um, like witch doctor study or something. So as part of this, they wanted to get a handprint from Castro, do a palm reading on him, and then see if they could find any weaknesses through the palm reading. So again, they're just like trying anything and everything that they can get their hands on. Sounds pretty occult to me, huh? And then the the closest, if anyone's interested, the closest we ever came to actually killing Castro was that the mafia um, helped recruit someone that was working in a cafe that Castro went to and he slipped um, some kind of like a toxin, like a poison into a milkshake. And then he was going to give it to Castro, but apparently he like knocked it over right before it was meant to be given to him. And this was known as like the closest we had ever come. Like the poison was there. The agent was there. Castro had ordered the milkshake. Like everything was lining up and then someone like (laughs) knocked it over uh, which which might be, you know, just a, a tale. But this one was kind of an interesting one. And then I got this quote from Fidel Castro. It says that if surviving assassination attempts were an Olympic event, I would win the gold medal. So he was just like flaunting it at this point. Like he knew that everyone was out to get him. And he, it was almost like a joke to him. Jeez, dude. That's that's wild, man. So, um... Th- We've got a, I've got a note here on the JFK assassination because, again, this, this happens, the planning of the people involved with it, the aftermath, it all happens during the height of MKUltra before it becomes um, entirely public. So this, not just the mind control aspects, but just like every other aspect from Castro to drugs to the fact that JFK was trying to dismantle the CIA and scatter it to the winds. I forgot the, the full quote, but he, he absolutely was against the CIA. So it kind of gets folded into this and that um, there's some concept of Lee Harvey Oswald, perhaps of, of not specifically MK ultra, um, but mind control programming of just a different name from a different, you know, time period. And then another, you know, the Kennedy curse, we've got JFK's brother, RFK. He gets killed by Sirhan Sirhan after apparently there's a woman with a polka dotted dress walks by and triggers him triggers this alternate personality where he reverts into this assassin mode and then kills rfk and then as soon as he does that he reverts <laughs> back into his normal uh, personality again yeah that i mean that's essentially the main conspiracy theory behind the rfk assassination is it sirhan that dude's sirhan. still alive too right sirhan sirhan yeah so, so he was a trained mk ultra assassin got triggered by the woman in the polka dot dress because when they were programmed, and this isn't in the pamphlet because this is all subjective like yeah. stories, but that when he was being trained, they basically linked his like desire to kill or this trigger for him to like shoot a target directly on command while he was being shown like polka dots Get or black fucked, and white bro. spots. That's crazy. So then when they put him in the situation, polka dot lady with the dress walks by, you know, assumingly hired by the CIA to walk by at that instant turns back over into his military training, pulls off the shot and then switches back so that now if he gets captured, interrogated, he doesn't know he can't give up the state secrets. Again, that was the original 
intent of Bluebird back when Helms took over. He's like, the number one important thing is that if someone gets caught, then we can prevent them from giving up the goods. Um, so that's, uh, I mean, jury's out. Me personally, on if Sirhan Sirhan can directly be tied to, you know, positive MK Ultra training, but is one of the most commonly cited cases. Um, it deals with mind control and, and assassins. It makes me think of the part in the Matrix when they're like, focus on the girl with the red dress, right? And it's like, she's the one that first stands out. So it just makes me think <laughs> of that, the girl with the polka dot. That's wild, dude. I did not know that part of the conspiracy. I'm not real big. I didn't know that the JFK assassination could be linked to MKUltra. So it's it's, that, that one's a little bit more of a stretch, but it's it's linked not not through Lee Harvey Oswald and through the, like the actual official JFK assassination story, but it's linked in that um, JFK also, I don't know if you heard this, but he had like a nasty case of syphilis, um, which apparently had started getting out of control, which he was um, he was mediating it with drugs, but some of the drugs that he was taking like he didn't want the public to know about it. So he had his inside connections to the drugs. So at a certain point, the government is giving him like these copious amounts of drugs to maintain his syphilitic brain, which is starting to like, you know, cause him to maybe act differently. Swiss that's, that's, cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Swiss cheese a little bit. Um, but some of that, some of the drugs they were giving him and the way they were analyzing how the syphilis was affecting his behavior and um, the, the whole concept of Marilyn Monroe and like the sex kitten, like the MK Ultra beta kitten training, that kind of all ties into that aspect of MK Ultra, just not the Lee Harvey Oswald assassination part. But it's almost impossible to remove all these pieces. You know what I mean? Like it, it, mm. they all kind of fit together into one big jigsaw puzzle. Interesting. And, I, and I'm glad you hadn't heard about the RFK assassination because, again, that's one of the the main examples of here's a person they got triggered by some you know visual anchor nlp terms and anchor switches him into his assassin mode and then switches back and real quick rundown because i mentioned sirhan sirhan and the assassins um and i've met, i showed you a couple of times i'm working on a comic called mk ultra hippie assassin that'll be out maybe next year but it follows a guy named sirhan and he get, <laughs> basically shows how he gets programmed. But it, it's a retelling of The Old Man in the Mountain, which was a story from Marco Polo, where he basically said that he met this this old man in a mountain that had hollowed out a mountain and basically, like, recreated heaven on earth inside of the mountain. He had streams of, like, honey and wine and milk and, like, every kind of fruit tree you could imagine. And he just hired um, just, like, beautiful naked women to just run around. And they would go and kidnap young kids, like a 13 or 14-year-old. They'd drug them with hashish. And when the kid would get knocked out from smoking or eating too much hashish, they'd bring him into this mountain, this artificial you know, environment, like heaven on earth. They'd come to, and they'd be surrounded Dude. by, you know, like rivers of, <laughs> of wine and like just women feeding, like naked women feeding you, you know, grapes and like pomegranates and stuff. So they'd That's come wild. to... And like, you know, before, like, before they get kidnapped, you're just like a poor kid on the street mm -hmm. that's just looking for something to steal to get by. You get drugged, you wake up, you're now in, you know, heaven and you get brought to the old man in the mountain. The old man in the mountain will basically say, hey, I'm sorry you died. Uh, the good news, though, is that you're in heaven. So check it out, dude. Like, this place is awesome, right? You know, <laughs> like, you want some more beer? You want some more honey? Like, like everything here is for you. And by the way, 
those chicks, there's 72 of them. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, but it's like that 72 virgins promise. Um, so he's telling these, these young, you know, 13, 14 year old fighting age males. Okay. You're dead. Here's the thing. I'm God. I'm going to send you back into earth. Um, you're going to, you're going to go back to the world of the living. You're still a ghost. Like you're still dead. You still belong to me, but you're only allowed to come back to heaven and hang out with me again. If you go and kill this dude. And by the way, don't be worried about getting caught. Don't be worried about dying because if any of those things happen, you're just going to come right back here to heaven again. So you've got nothing to fear. The only thing that might go wrong is that if you don't, like if you leave your mission and you don't do what we're asking you to, then you don't get to come back to heaven. And you're just going to have to like, you know, um, like walk around the earth as a ghost and just always be detached. So they, they drug them with hashish again. And the kids wake back up out in the real world wondering, did that even really happen? But, you know, again, like they have no other point of reference, no other goals. So it's like, well, I want to go back to heaven. So I'm going to kill this person that they told me to kill. And that arguably is where the term assassin came from, because it came from Hashashin, because they would give these kids all this hashish, which would knock them out so that they could kind of like brain, you know, like mind control brain program them send them back out into the world and kill the political um, adversaries. So this Bro. is essentially one of those things that the MK ultra scientists really wanted to be able to do because I mean, this story has been around since Marco Polo's tales and it's, you know, they obviously had heard of this. So it, it set the template. This is really fascinating. This is from the year 1090, right? Yeah. Where the order of the assassins, this dude's even in, the video game Assassin's Creed 2. He's in there too. He's uh, uh, Ubisoft. Yeah, the Assassins right here. Wow, um, that's crazy, bro. I did not know that. I think you, you told us about it one time on some podcast on a tangent probably, but I know it was a right real here. story. <laughs> the old man of the mountain. So, And I mean, like a lot of the stories that, that come, yeah, here's the actual castle that apparently was supposed to be where they had like hollowed out this mountain and they created this artificial heaven on earth inside of it with literal i mean they the stories that were literal rivers of wine and honey and milk so like just imagine how impressive that would be in the year it makes you think of something you know? of charlie and the chocolate factory where they have rivers of chocolate yeah, and all this stuff <laughs> that's a great that's a perfect example yeah that, I mean, the first assassins were basically drugged with weed. They just, they gave them a whole bunch of dabs. The kids. They wake up in Charlie's Chocolate Factory mm -hmm. and they're like, look, you're already dead. But if you want to come back to Charlie's Chocolate Factory, you just got to go out and, and, you know, kill the president. So they go out, they kill the president. And now they think if they just shoot themselves and end it there, they just immediately wake right back up in charlie's Dang. chocolate factory again that's some that's some narnia that's like the darker narnia darker willy wonka-esque you know grim tales i know we're going to talk about that here in a little bit but it just makes me think that's wild dude so that so that's kind of one of the origin points and sirhan being this assassin again was like one of the first examples of mk ultra assassin at least being thrown around as a direct result of that um so Sidney Gottlieb was a name that we mentioned a couple times before. He's uh, he's interesting, man. He was known as the Dirty Trickster. That was his name um, in the CIA, is his nickname. And he was just kind of known for just slipping LSD to you. Like if you weren't if you weren't watching your drink around this dick. dude, there would be a very good <laughs> chance that you were going to be tripping. And 
and not just that it's not like anyone knew what lsd was right it's not like someone's like hey watch out for that sydney guy bro he's gonna he's gonna dose you you'd be like what do you mean dose what's a dose a dose of what um like lsd wasn't even really known about so you're hanging with this dude and all of a sudden you're just tripping you know your balls off for the next two or three days um so he became known as dirty tricks there he also did lsd himself so he was very much in the self-experimentation what i mentioned before that the cia also was interested in like um like occult studies and witchcraft well he was one of the ones that helped spearhead some of those research so one of them in particular was called mk ultra subproject 121 yoruba witch doctor study um and i and i did a much deeper dive on this because i got another comic series called lee's demons which is about lee harvey oswald being trained in voodoo in order to protect i really AFK, can't wait but... for that to come out really can't, like that you've been teasing that for like the longest now and from i know <laughs> from all the pictures i've seen it looks so awesome and just the concept behind that and this was my favorite part in the pamphlet too where i've always told people i always come towards every topic that i talk about from like that that occult perspective of the elites are taking what look at these guys from 10 10 90 or whatever it was don't you think that the elites, the CIA knows about this sect of people that were literally, this is an ancient account of MK Ultra, essentially is what it is. Well, and again, not, not to bypass that whole academic aspect. So mm -hmm. you've got these guys at the height of the CIA that are interested in this. Well, who's going to know about like some crazy sect from the, you know, <laughs> from the year 1000? Well, it's freaking the history majors that went to Yale some esotericist who was talking about and researching and then they how you said they it's, recruit them <laughs> it's not the guy that's redoing your plumbing at least not in 1960 right yeah. like the, the guy redoing your plumbing is likely not going to know about the old man in the mountain and marco polo's travels and um german research into mescaline uh, not because there's anything wrong with that blue color worker but because they had absolutely no access to this information and uh and at this point too like you didn't even know about LSD or mescaline or, or mushrooms or anything unless you got it directly from mm -hmm. the Skull and Bones uh, headed uh, Time magazine from Henry Luce or from some other government entity. So, and it, it, is that history that the CIA was founded by some Skull and Bones members or is that like a conspiracy? I uh, wouldn't say the CIA founded by um, Skull and Bones, but the CIA and Skull and Bones has so much overlap uh, that it's like the same revolving door where mm. um, like, a, like a politician leaves and then goes and works in private industry and then ends up consulting like the government version of that private industry that regulates it and go back and forth. It's just another one of those revolving door aspects. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, all so this one's is an interesting one again if, if you care about that dr raymond prince from mcgill university he's the one that actually did some of those studies and and gottlieb and specifically cia and mk ultra were interested in this because of the tales of like zombies where you could inject someone with toxins and then get them to do things that they didn't want to do um so like th this again it just fit directly into like hey they're doing what we want to do let's go and figure out how they're doing it do you think Dahmer was MK Ultra, bro. Because you're talking about injecting people's heads with, with chemicals and making them zombies. Was Dahmer, and this is the 1960s too. So, was Dahmer? I'll, I'll I'll give you this. I I I don't know if Dahmer was directly involved in MK Ultra, just because he was too much under the radar. 
he wasn't a black criminal he wasn't uh he wasn't like one of the groups that that the cia were specifically experimenting on but i do think that if anyone knew about Dahmer and the intelligence agency they would not have stopped him they just would have tailed him and taken notes on him and figured it out so if they knew i don't think he came from mk ultra but he definitely would have been studied by and had his own sub project that maybe we don't know about i don't think that i don't think that actually happened but uh I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if you were like, "Hey, bro, fucking a new report." You know, my FOIA request came back. It says here that the CIA knew all about Dahmer the whole time. Like, Crazy, yeah, okay. dude. There's a reason why they push him. I don't know, man. So, uh, this is when MK Ultra starts to get into the news. So, '73, we've got Watergate in the news, and Richard Helms, um, the guy that started Bluebird. He basically just he wants all of the papers destroyed. Anything that has anything to do with MK Ultra, burn it in a big fire. And they basically do this to a certain extent, except for seven boxes that get found later on. And like a again, like Looney Tunes style cartoon writing. But um the church committee is what most people are familiar with. Maybe not by name, but those are the pictures of the black and white and the dudes holding up the art um the heart attack gun and pictures of of sydney gottlieb a lot of those come from these church committee and that's essentially um results in this family jewels report well after that church committee hearing there's there's those seven boxes that get recovered and as part of those information that comes out again that one of those biggest books that i had the uh a terrible mistake by abarelli i don't know if this will show up again no it just makes me disappear but that 800 page book called a terrible mistake is the most extensive account of this Frank Olson story. But essentially, Frank Olson is working at Fort Detrick as biochem warfare specialist. He doesn't necessarily know he's working for the CIA or anything. He just knows he's working at, like, germ warfare in in, um, Maryland. And he gets called away to, like, a company retreat, you know, like a team-building exercise. They rented out a hotel, and we're just going to, like, brainstorm some cool ideas. And while he's there to do this this uh, group session, again, someone doses his drink. They give him uh, a con, uh, some kind of like a mixed, you know, alcohol drink, dose it with LSD and give it to him. And no one ever tells him about it. So he's just tripping and he thinks like, am I going crazy? Am I going like, has my brain permanently changed? Is this going to last forever? And even after he comes out of it, it throws him into like this deep depression and like this like nonstop cycle of, of sort of like insight and not getting out of his own head. And eventually he's, he complains about it and he reports it to some of his immediate superiors. So they, he goes out on like another um, hotel trip at some point and he's staying with another CIA agent in the room with him. And the claim was that the CIA agent like went to the bathroom and in the short time while the CIA agents in the bathroom, Frank Olson opens up a window that didn't actually have a way that could have opened and then jumps out and falls all the way to the bottom. They were like staying at like the top level in the hotel. He falls at the bottom and dies. Well, Henry Gabarelli's book suggests that the CIA agent actually broke the window and pushed his ass out because he might've been a whistleblower about dosing people with LSD and MK ultra and so much of this other stuff. But he becomes one of the key names that comes up in mk ultra because the government eventually has to admit that yes they dosed them with lsd um and then they gave the family i believe some huge settlement almost as like a like a non-compete um settlement 
Um, but yikes! Th- this is one of the many examples. There's a couple other names. So, uh, and I, I've got a note here that it wasn't until 1996 they exhumed the body and they did another postmortem um, autopsy on on it, and they noticed that there was actually a contusion to his skull, Oof. which indicates that he got hit over the head before he got pushed out of the building. So, wow. That's wild, so, I mean, dude. The government never admitted to the killing part, but they basically admitted to the wrongful death and to the dosing of LSD. And there's just so much more records on this guy's life in particular. It's kind of heartbreaking, but it's uh, it serves as like the one case that you can point your finger at. So I mentioned that almost in like a, like a comical cartoon way, 1977, um, another 20,000 MK Ultra files just kind of like miraculously show up when an assistant walks into an old storage room and finds seven boxes labeled MK Ultra. Um, and these boxes that they find in 77 constitute a majority, like over 90% of what we know about MK Ultra today. So, based on how much you believe that those boxes just kind of showed up and um, there was only seven of them and the stuff that they found is what they got released. That's kind of what we know about today. And our source of MK Ultra information is the government. So um, it's kind of like a, a double edged sword there. The CIA has investigated that the CIA has had no involvement yeah. <laughs> in that. So they are good to go. <laughs> well, this was more like, hey, we've, we've got so much overwhelming evidence. We're going to have to throw them a bone. So here's 20,000 papers that we found in a room. Um, and maybe this was just the least damning of all of the records. Who, who knows? Like you that secretary is dead, right? I mean, we can agree that secretary is <laughs> dead as fuck, right? What Naomi? <laughs> the the one that found those boxes. So there, there's another example. This guy, um, Harold Blower. Um, I don't know if this is him. Yeah, I think he was a famous tennis player. I don't think there was enough. I'll look it up in here. Um, so Harold Blower, I believe was a famous tennis player and he was basically, he was going through a divorce yeah, and he, tennis was going player. Through de- he was going through depression, uh, related to going through a nasty divorce and he checks himself in to a mental institution, uh, to treat him for his depression. Oh my God, and dude. The poor dude, they end up giving him a <laughs> fatal dose of ecstasy, 450 milligrams. Whoa. A typical dose for a new user would be about 60 milligrams. So they give this guy like eight rolls um, when he comes in to be treated for depression and he, and he just dies. His freaking brain cooks uh, from taking eight, you know, eight rolls. So this is just the only, again, the only reason that this name is popular is because he was already famous. He was already Mm -hmm. like a well-known name and a popular guy at the time. Um, but this is again, like they don't care. You, you could be famous. You could be rich. You could be a world-class tennis player. Hey dude, let, let's do some experiments. Give this guy eight rolls of ecstasy. Let's see what happens. You think Write he felt good time. at any one point? Do you think when, as he was coming up, he felt good or do you think it was bad from like the beginning? I'm sure it started off good until he felt <laughs> his brain cooking from the inside. And then the rest of it was probably downhill. Yikes. Um, so we're getting to the, the end here. There's only a couple more pages left. This one is, this is one of the, the crazier tales. And I wish that I, I could have done an entire pamphlet on just Dr. Ewan Cameron. Um, but so Dr. Donald Ewan Cameron, this is one of the Canadian um, versions of MK. I mean, he was within MK Ultra because the United States CIA was funding his research 
but his research was happening in Montreal and other places within Canada. Um, so the, the Canadians are not without fault. They were also experimenting on their own people and on Americans. Like they, they took that same MK ultra. They would never paycheck. Yeah. 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 They're, they're too polite. <laughs> so, so he, uh, his is under Subproject 68. And again, Subproject 68 is one of the creepiest ones. And there's so many movies and comic books and other stories that are based on this particular guy's research. But he had one of um, LSD. Um, he would give people LSD for literally months on end. You would just be given a dose of LSD every day for 70 days straight, which probably it's to some people like when you're being like farcical like oh yeah it sounds so fun i could handle it i guarantee there's probably no one on this planet that could maintain uh you know their mental state even afterwards after being dosed for two months plus straight on lsd he combined that with shock therapy so you're also getting shocked uh non-stop sometimes at different intervals sensory deprivation tanks um shout out to joe rogan although this is be like the horrible version of sensory deprivation because it's being enforced on you and you don't get to kind of like decide when to opt in and opt out drug induced comas where he would literally just give you so much drugs that you would just pass out and your body would just stop responding um and again this is one of those versions of we don't want to go and find someone in a coma and see how to bring them out of it we're just going to put people into comas and then see if we can bring those people back out because it's just easier and it's just more convenient for them and then one of the it doesn't sound as bad but there's this one called psychic driving where basically he would have you um say something on tape so he'd say like Juan, say you know i'm proud of you Juan." so you'd record yourself saying hey i'm proud of you Juan," and then you would just play on a loop and you would just hear it for non-stop for like a month straight you would just hear i'm proud of you Juan. i'm proud of you Juan." But to other people, he would have them say negative things like I hate you or I hate myself and want to die. And you would just hear your own voice saying I hate myself and want to die just for, you know, days and days on end. Um, And this this technique of psychic driving, this is something you can definitely follow a thread over the years to modern day of this like positive affirmations and mantras the like button um, and all that shit the like button dude i mean just uh just like chance and uh like the the walmart you know the store opening chant that they all do and they get together and like all of these things are kind of based in this like repetitive just say the thing over and over until it becomes true um Mm. and this is just taken to an extreme and i want to add real quick uh the the week we keep idea Frank Olson page. The last line on there says the Rockefeller commission report on the CIA <laughs> in 1975 acknowledged they're having conducted covert drug studies on a, on fellow agents. So it's like the Rockefeller commission report. When you look into that, it's the United States president's commission on CIA activities within the United States was set up under president Gerald Ford in 1975 to investigate the activities of the central intelligence agency and other intelligence agencies within the United States. So yikes, put the name of the, one of the shadiest (laughs) Royal families of all time in front of this. Like, come on, man. Golly. And then, uh, there's a a long lineage and I'll, I'll get to this in a second too, but MK ultra more or less ends after the church hearings and after everything else starts coming to light. But if you start looking at all of the other operations and military experiments that continue after MK Ultra, you know, shuts down, 
they have different names, but they're continuing some of that same research. So we've got a remote viewing project in 78 called Operation Grill Flame, which was then renamed to Sunstreak in 1985. And then that kind of dovetails into Project Stargate in 91, which was officially came to an end in 95. But again, like you could just follow this lineage. It comes to an end really means it got renamed too. And at a certain point, we just stop knowing what that new name is. You know, maybe our grandkids will know what they renamed Stargate to after that, but we're a little bit too close to it. So we don't know about it. And then um, I just, uh, the most recent, when I had written this one, I think I published this in early 2020 originally. And as of 2019, there was still a lawsuit going on over MK ultra uh, right here where, um veterans cited being tested on mustard gas sarin gas thorazine lsd amphetamines barbiturates again at 10 times more the doses so those people were still suing the government as of 2019 over some of this wow and i want to add how you're saying this evolution of government projects into other names the perfect example is darpa with lifelog was canceled on the same day facebook was made so when, and, and DARPA was <laughs> perhaps originally named Project Pandora. So and then, yeah. when, and then when it went from being a top mm -hmm. secret classified project into a publicly known one, then they just gave it a, a name. Yeah, yeah, that, that's an interesting connection too, right? Pandora, Pandora's box. She was actually a homunculus too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the homunculus connection there. Well, yeah, you got one more page on there, right? The last one where it sums uh, everything well, up. Well, the last one is just uh, is just kind of like a big conclusion of, um, it's just kind of talking about great the MK Ultra technically ended in the '60s or the '70s, depending on who you believe. But really, just like we don't need secret societies and masons anymore because we've got boardrooms and we've got private chat groups and email, that same kind of thing kind of correlates here where. We might not have an OSS and a CIA and an Artichoke and an MK Ultra, but we've got Facebook and Twitter and Twitch, and we've got academia that's directly sending their top minds into social media and vice versa. They go back into academia to teach the new wave. Um, you've got you know high academia again, skull and bones, CIA funneling in and out. So the heart of all of this really is like pop culture, media, education they all like live in this little bubble and the government just kind of sits back and says like, you know, we're just going to throw this money at you guys. Just keep, keep pumping it out and give us the results before you give it to anybody else. So the thing that has changed has been the method of transmission. So it's not dosing people with LSD in the streets or at bars now they, or whatever. Now, yeah. So that's a good point is that, now the government doesn't have to secretly dose you with drugs and then watch. You take you it willingly right here. It's exactly. <laughs> but you do it all to yourself. There, there was a story when I was still working at Disney, we were working on uh, like a video game for kids. And um, one of the, we had to go and like talk to like the big execs and there was this big meeting room and we're, they're all talking about getting these kids on board. it was like a club penguin style kind of game. And I remember I asked the question because, you know, when I grew up, I don't know if when you grew up, it was like, you never want to give your name. It's always like give a fake name and a fake address. And my number is always 555-1212. And like my address is always 123 Main Street. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you always give it garbage. Well, I was asking like, what's the hurdle here? Like, how do you how do you prevent just people from signing up with fake information? Because that's all I really knew. 
and they were saying like no no no, you don't get it the kids these and this is 2015 or something he's like the kids these days are falling over themselves to give us their real information they don't want to be private they don't want to hide behind anonymity because they want this like custom tailored experience they want to log in and for it to go hi juan welcome to the game and just that little extra bit of like feeling that personalization yeah that's like to the people signing up they're willing to just trade all their privacy and all their information to feel like this custom tailored experience Mm -hmm. so like what would a corporation or government entity wouldn't just embrace that and encourage it as opposed to trying their own version of getting information from you so now again like if the intelligence agencies want information they just entice you to give it up yourself they'll give you an incentive to post it on social media or to you know, to send it to your therapist over an email, which maybe they can spy in on. Um, so anyways, that's, that's the culmination of this MK Ultra booklet is just because the program ended and we don't have a name for it today doesn't by any means, um, it, it doesn't indicate that it actually stopped. If anything, it's probably 10 times what it ever was in the 50s. It's just by so many different names and sprawled out. But you know who doesn't? want to program you who you know who doesn't want to shove ideas down your throat the one one podcast doesn't right so share with your <laughs> friends and tell them hey share this episode with your friends this is a deep dive on mk ultra and how i've always told people if, if if you have a family member on the fence and dude with the whole spreading the truth and all this stuff if somebody doesn't want to hear it I don't tell it to them. It's not my job to convert them or anything like that. You know what I mean? You just plant that seed. But yeah, we're not here to convert you to anything or push any ideas down your throat. So share with your friends this episode and the whole on podcast because we make some dope ass content. And here we are doing a deep dive on MK Ultra. So let's go off the the rails now, bro. I want to speculate now. I want to get well, into. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up some of my my deep research on all the sub projects. Wait, so that wasn't your deep research, around. bro? That was just. That was history. Well, I, that was that was me presenting my summary of the research. But no, I don't think we got time to go into like all the individual notes. But I do. I mentioned that I've been compiling a list of every sub project. So here, let me see if. Uh, That's wild, dude. The just the fact that they essentially got away with it, right? And the stuff that we don't know about, and the stuff that was happening before or even today. I think that all these things, all these movies are made in a certain type of way with these certain type of people behind them. And I I know we've joked about it before where are they sitting in a room coming up with the things that they want to extract from people while they're making this movie or whatever? Do you think that there are some lizard people at Disney who sit there and they just, you know, lick their eyes with their lizard tongues trying to come up with as much symbolism as they can to put into these movies? Is there a group like that, bro? I mean, I think there is. I don't know if they're lizards that are licking their eyes, but but believe it or not, I mean, again, I want to. There's enough tangents we can go on, but there is a very direct line of how um, the Nazis took Grimm's fairy tales and used that to build this concept of like you know the chosen people and um, like just the folklore rebuilding Germanic ancestry, and let's tap back into those those Aryan roots that came from sort of like promoting folklore and story tales is like, this is the, you know, this is the origins of our people. 
like we've we've kind of created these these forever lasting stories that are based on some kind of like reality well if you look in the 1940s 1950s 60s usa we get the same version it's just walt disney telling the exact same grim fairy tale stories but it's the exact same thing right and it's it's like a lot of people think back on nostalgia and growing up as kids and americana they're thinking about when they went and saw disney movies with their family and you're watching you know beauty and the beast with your daughters or something i mean we're just repeating that same kind of reusing Grimm's fairy tales for almost like a nationalist sort of agenda so yeah and it gets into the whole simulacrum simulation postmodernism, and the hyper reality of how they're projecting this other reality onto and i just i did an episode recently i forgot with who it was but they talked about how oh man who was it just recently hold on let me pull it up here but he, he brought it oh it was esoteric eddie where we talked about this idea that they're able to overlay a reality on top of your actual reality. So think about the way the, the, the example he gave me was you're experiencing this reality right now. When you put on your VR headset, you're experiencing another reality while you think that you're in the real reality. So it's like this, <laughs> this blending of, you know what I mean? Inception, like, it's, yeah. yeah, like an inception, which is a really wild thing, but yeah, this is all really fascinating. I want to add to what we were talking about at the beginning. Ronald Reagan was the one that said, most terrifying words i'm from the government i'm here to help so he was the one that he said it the nine most terrifying words in the english language are i'm from the government i'm here to help and that was a press conference on august 12 1986 u.s president ronald reagan said that in front of millions of people and that has gone down in history that's wild to think that a president of the united states right the most noble and of course they would never do anything wrong <laughs> His his wife was also doing seances in the White House around the was same time. Was she really? So yeah. Oh geez. Okay. Yeah, she was. She was. You should look into Nancy Reagan. She was uh, an interesting character. Interesting. So so this I'm I'm not going to read through every single one of these bullet points, but I mentioned one of the things that I've been doing. Give us your favorites over the last decade. Um, <clears throat> is just trying to make an index of every single sub project. Some of them I know the the names of, but no other details. Some of them I just know maybe like a date or something. And, and again, like depending on what the source is, sometimes you'll find one document that says subproject three was such and such. And then another one that, um, you know, refutes that. But they just tend to like shift the numbers around. So this is the best that I've come up with so far. Um, there's not necessarily a central source of truth for any of this. This is, the, this is my own personal source of truth, the closest that I've gotten to it so far. Um, so the very first one was um it just it sounds very innocuous this plant isolations of this revia cambriosa i believe that this is an is an analog to lsd i think it um contains something called lsa i might be incorrect about that but but this just kind of shows some of the initial um beginnings into this psychedelic research and and a note that i've got here if you notice mk ultra more or less officially ends in 1965 the very next year possession of lsd becomes a class one felony so it's it's like the it's like the cia saying well if i can't play with lsd then nobody can play with lsd (laughs) i do as i say Um, not as i do yeah which which which, (laughs) this is such an important aspect not to be overlooked because even to this day there's very little research that can be done into it outside of academia that gets the approval otherwise you become a felon you go directly to jail um so like the the government still has a monopoly on lsd research 
So here we've got Operation Midnight Climax. Here's one called Mulholland's Manual. This is probably one of my favorite ones where they hire a uh, stage magician. They pay him $3,000 and basically just tell him to write like a, a field guide on how they can do all kinds of like spy craft. <laughs> so like one of the examples was like using sleight of hand magician tricks to like, oh, look over here. And then as you're doing that, you slip a LSD into their drink. But another really cool one was that he showed them that you could tie your shoelaces in certain patterns so that you could send messages to other what? agents without even talking. So it's like if I lace my left shoe with all straight, but then I lace my right shoe and the top. It's like you're a homosexual. Like, yeah. like you would. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, and you wear like the green wristband, which means like you're a swinger on Saturdays or whatever. Um, but that, that's there's so many cool um, aspects of them actually saying like such out of the box thinking, right? Like, hey, that stage magician. He pulled a quarter out of that dude's ear, but like maybe he could have been dropping LSD into their drink instead. I wonder what he could pull out of their do. ass. Imagine <laughs> Ma- magic. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's Crowley's stuff right there. So I'm gonna whiz by some of these. We've got hypnotic couriers. This is like that concept of I put you into one altar, give you a command or like a bit of information, and then transfer you into another altar to see if if those two altars can talk to each other and transfer the information. What? So, so yeah, you never, so the, like, that's the concept is that like, I would break, I'd have you come in and I would break you down somehow. Usually it would be like sensory deprivation or sleep deprivation, or maybe just a bunch of LSD, but I essentially create this like new blank version of Juan that's disassociated from regular Juan. And I give you a special command. It's like, you know, the, the cheat code is up, down, left, left, they right B, right? I give you like the Konami cheat code or something. And then we transition you back into your normal state. And the theory was that that new normal state of Juan was so far removed from that traumatized version that you just suppress it, you know, just like any other major trauma, you just forget about it and you dare, you bury it deep under you. But then later, like three or four years later, if I can get you back into that original state again, and I ask you the secret password, bam, you just got it at the top of your head. Cause that's the only thing that that other altar was created for. So this was, that's basically what a hypnotic courier stands for. It says um, Alden it, Sears too. Alden Sears, University of Denver and University of Minnesota. He was one of the the academics that was uh, involved in some of this hypnotic courier, hypnotic mind control research. It make it makes me think, dude, because you're talking about like repressing the dark self and all that stuff. It makes me think what role Carl Jung played in the CIA. And I quickly looked it up. And I think he might have been a CIA asset at one point, allegedly. Undercover oh, there's operative. no question. There's no question. That's, that's crazy, dude. Like, literally, it's how you're saying they take these academics and they take their knowledge and they weaponize it. So here's a bunch of other sub projects. Six, seven, let's see. Uh, depressants. Um, here, this one's interesting. Magic support, Mulholland supplement. So this is a continuation of that stage magician. Um, but I don't know if if this was like some other magician they trained or like some additional look into that. This is all we've got is just the name of this sub project, but it clearly is referring to that earlier one. Um, LSD studies. Here's one on Amanita muscaria, and again that that Rivia cambriosa. The reason why I went deep into this one, I won't go too much of a tangent, but this relates to um, a guy named Robert uh, Gordon Wasson, who was 
buddy buddy with the Dulles. Um, he was buddy buddy with J.P. Morgan Jr. Yeah, I've he heard was of buddy him. with the Rockefellers. Um, he was also the one that knew Henry Luce of Time Magazine. And when Time Magazine released the very first article on magic mushrooms, it was Robert Gordon Wasson's research that was that made it through here. And again, who you know, the skull and bones essentially in high academia and the CIA were behind that information, even being approved enough to get into the public sphere. Um, so that I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent there, but this one in particular, this William Cook and Co. research goes deep into that aspect. Um, more hypnotic mind control by Alden Sears. I'm sure he was a really cool guy. Uh, <laughs> whenever, he looks whole bunch like... of, whenever you see Fort Dietrich, that's essentially biochem warfare. This is, you know, finding toxins or finding nasty little flesh eating bacteria and weaponizing them. Um, collections of plants here's another moholan magic one um a lot of these ones where it says like collection of botanicals it's literally sending a scientist out to peru or out to oaxaca mexico and just you know gathering these random sort of like psychedelics and hallucinogens um scopolamine sort of um sources here's one knockout stress and cancer so the knockout aspect and there's a couple other ones noted here but what they did was they would just take a huge blast of air sometimes they call it concussion research and they would just blast you with air to where your brain like your body would be whipped back so hard that your brain would hit the inside of your skull and if and if they were trying to figure out if they could hit you with this blast of air from certain angles and at certain velocities if i could just wipe out your memory so it's like if I knew that Juan had state secrets and he was about to get captured, I don't want to kill him necessarily because the PR on me killing my own soldier would be horrific. But if he just accidentally got like bumped by a blast of air, oops, you know what I mean? And that just happened to knock out all of his memory of his training, <laughs> then like win-win, you know what I mean? Wow. Um, so, so that's where this knockout usually comes from. Um, let's see here. This subproject 49, this goes much deeper into the hypnotic courier stuff, um, into we actually have some kind of reports that were recovered as part of that 1977, you know, seven boxes uh, being found. And it's all talking about how to use the hypnotist, um, hypnotic induction of non-willing subjects. If you know how to read between the lines, this is basically torture. <laughs> I mean, a non-willing subject is different than a non-witting so if it's a non-witting subject, it means they don't realize they're in the experiment. If it's non-willing... Oh, they know a, that they're there. Well, right? th there's a gray area. Like, you're not explicitly saying yeah, they fucked. know. But if they do know, then they're definitely not going along with it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> um, so fucked up. And, and it mentions here, like, some of the techniques. Uh, long durations of um, monotonous audio or visual stimulation. Psychic driving, bro. This is, you know... I hate myself and want to die. I hate myself and want to die. Just hear that over and over in a monotonous tone. Um, that's part of this. Again, psychic driving. We've got some memorandums where they talk about um, eavesdropping on, on the people. We've got a shock stimulator. So here they are just zapping people um, as part of this, you know, unwilling uh, participation. They just shock the hell out of you. Um, and then there's also some notes about this, like, Manchurian candidate style experiments so have you heard the term manchurian candidate before i have yes it's so it's based on a book 
that also then became like movies and TV shows and stuff. But the concept of a Materian candidate is, is essentially that old man in the mountain. It's kidnapping someone that is, you know, part of normal society, training them to be an assassin initiating them and then sending them back out into society. Yeah. Initiating them into the order of the assassins, essentially. Whoa. Um, and that's kind of what Manchurian candidate is. It's that like that buried inner personality that you can like trigger at moments notice they turn into an assassin and then back is the Uber, the Uber mensch is what, what, what Nietzsche talked about and the Superman and all these, like the very bringing forth this internal little homunculus, if you will, to do your bidding for you. And then you're able to suppress it. We're we're always three steps away from that (laughs) that homunculus, bro. We we really are, dude. People don't realize how closely related it is to a lot of different things in their life. So, and then this, uh, this Alden Sears name keeps coming up. So he's definitely an important, I haven't done a a deep dive on this guy. Sears, dude, that's what stood out to me. Sears. And I can't find anything on him on no good luck good luck man a <laughs> lot of the the names in here good luck finding more information and if you do please con- contact at paranoidamerican.com if you got any other information or, or any other details well, i got this please. guy here the search for the manchurian candidate and he's somewhere in here he mentions this Al- alden sears guy but yeah not much dude so here i've just got a note on um there's an actual memorandum part of a foia request 1953 may 11 and Sidney gottlieb himself lists some uh experiments that alden sears conducted so here we've got hypnotically induced anxieties that sounds like a dick move um hypnotically increasing ability to learn and recall complex written matter so this is literally like having someone memorize pages and pages of detailed material word for word almost like photographic memory style but it's done in a hypnotic state so that your normal waking state doesn't know this information about the subconscious it's like it's back to the occult bro like in the elizabeth elizabeth times right there were there were everybody was obsessed with being a spy right they wanted to use either remote viewing or something to astrally project to spy on people and i think it's the same thing that they were trying to do well the the difference though is that all those people knew that they were training to be a spy (laughs) yeah this is different because it's like a normal person and you don't even realize that you're a sleeper agent you know you're such a sleeper that you don't even know about it it makes you think of people who have who are sleepwalkers and all that if that if that's by design or if that's an actual disease (laughs) i don't know dude so we've got a cheating polygraph tests using hypnosis um, this one right here, recall a complex arrangement of physical objects. This is basically sending someone into your house or, you know, drive through your country and keep a mental note of where all the buildings and all the people were. And who who's the uh, uh, the the mentalist um, man, the, the like the Greek dude where he went yeah, to the theater and it fell down and it killed know his name. And but... he, and he knew like where every single person was sitting. That's this. That's recalling a complex arrangement of physical objects. Again, it's it's written in like military scientific terms, but it's the exact same thing. And NLP memory techniques, it all kind of falls under this mind control. Simonides of that's the guy of COs. There you go. And the method of Losi, which that's the one with the art of memory, where he was at a party. Francis Yates talked about it and all this stuff. So. This one, I've always wanted to know what this meant. The Morse code problem with emphasis on relatively lower IQ subjects than found on university volunteers. And this 
this part here, the relatively lower IQ, you can almost see the, black, the condescension. <laughs> well, and again, because they're used to picking and working with the higher levels of academia. So it's like the second they have to reach outside of their academic spheres, it's like, oh, these freaking peons with their low IQs. Fucking peasants. Because uh, they don't know what a badminton, you know, racket looks these like. These animals. <laughs> so we've got a whole bunch of funding. Yeah, JP um, Morgan was that? Yeah, so so men, remember I mentioned the the Gordon Wasson and he rolled with Dulles and J.P. Morgan Jr. and all these guys. Well, another side tangent here is that J.P. Morgan Jr. was absolutely fascinated, specifically with mushrooms um, and and like native depictions of mushrooms and rituals and stuff. So this uh, collecting botanicals for J.P. Morgan and Co. I've got it. This is a personal note for myself related to Wasson's work. I'm. I'm pretty positive that all of these were actually the CIA funding Robert Gordon Wasson traveling all over the country, Mexico. He went to India. He went to Tibet. Went to all these places. To, Is there a movie to on basically that? altered states uh, where he goes around the world trying to find the no. Concoction? So all. So kind of, but altered states is more based on the work of John C. Lilly and sensory deprivation. But mm. you could do some correlation with Robert got Robert Gordon Wasson. But Wasson, um, he was he worked at J.P. Morgan as I think like VP of finance or something. He was a banker slash lawyer, and then at some point in his career, he's just like, you know what? I'm just gonna travel the world and write about mushrooms for the rest of my life now. Like literally, he trans he transferred from VP. Uh, financial of jp morgan chase into mushroom traveler so i really do think that all of these payments was just him being employed by the cia to go on all these cool vacations and write about mushrooms and stuff um so that this is incredibly important this brain concussion research this is what i was talking about before using subaural frequency blasts that's just a, a a nice way of saying making a subwoofer so freaking big and loud that I just hit one eight oh eight bass note <laughs> and you forget your name. Like that's basically what this was that's made crazy. for. Um, we got unwitting drug tests. We got sleeping insomnia. Um, what else? Hungarian refugee study. I'm sure that that was a really fun one. There's probably a, a fun Disney cartoon coming out about that one. Um, let's see, sixty eight. This one was just nonstop electroshock therapy, sometimes using like remote. Um, they had this thing called a sleep room, which I mentioned before, where people would just be drugged for like a hunt. Like here, here's an example of no favorable days. results were obtained. <laughs> 101 days of positive driving. This is literally you for three months and two weeks of just listening. Juan, you're a good guy. Juan, you're a good guy. Just for three months straight, you hear nothing but that. So, yeah, do you think there'd be any favorable results from just hearing that on a loop? I don't know. You'd probably drive yourself crazy. Um, so this was all Dr. Cameron. Um, what else we got? Uh, some more Hungarian refugee study. So here's an example of I don't know if they did two different subprojects on Hungarian refugees or if one of the sources put it as 82 and another one of the sources put it as, you know, some other number, um, 65. So maybe 65 and 82 were both about Hungarian refugees, or maybe the different sources got mixed up. So this is just like a, a puzzle that's still being put together. Um, and if we keep going all the way down, we've got 
adolescent gangs that we mentioned. I've got a little bit more notes on that. Here's a bunch of children's summer camps. So specifically 16 to 21 year olds, although it did uh, involve um, kids as young as 11. And I believe they got them all back together again, like decades later to kind of get like their same impressions after they grew up to kind of like track the evolution of like these kids thinking um sabotage of petroleum is exactly what it sounds like figuring out how to take out the energy infrastructure of a particular area they wouldn't russian study of electrodes (laughs) um let's see vocational studies and children this is just another creepy one where they just got kids together to just like see what they thought about weird geopolitical concepts what do you think about president trump by any chance (laughs) i mean there you go that's (laughs) If you're getting paid by the government to tell you that's what Twitter that's what Twitter is, bro. They gauge people's uh, people's the way they feel about something, right, Uh, in real time because they have the trending hashtags this day and this and that. So they're seeing how people feel about and the emoji reactions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then here we go. We've got two different African attitude studies, Um, and then this is not related to operation um, midnight climax but there was multiple safe houses in new york city and in san francisco where they just did all sorts of different testing um here we get into esp research which is kind of like a, a fun topic where they basically manually put you into a dissociative state try astral projection they try to see if you could read where like you know the russians were hiding this is getting into that uh, stranger things right because the yep. whole concept of 11 is that they've trained this little girl and again they don't mention it but the pineal gland being like more advanced in small children but they they find this little girl that knows how to do astral projection and can find i think at the time they're trying to find like a like a russian high-ranking general in like one of the first seasons and she like closes her eyes and she's navigating through like dark space and nothingness and then she finds this general like in a hallway or something with like a light on him and she's able to pinpoint him. And then she tells the government, here's where he's at, or here's his, you know, his general um, sort of environment. This is kind of based on these original ones. And you can see it was originally proposed in 1961. And uh, man, the, the balls on the guy that walks up to the CIA project director and he's like, Hey, I need 10 grand. And we're just going to see if we can astral project out into the universe and uh, tap into the Akashic records. <laughs> it, well, and they're just like, how much did you say again? <laughs> it makes me think of how they found Bin Laden, right? Where where, where was it Bin Laden the one that, that was missing? Well, I mean, did they? I don't know. <laughs> they found that he was... <laughs> They knew where he was. They just had to turn around. He was like right there behind them. Like <laughs> he was right in their yeah. office. Yeah, yeah, he was dude. in payroll. <laughs> <laughs> so here we've got, you know, handwriting, bird disease, um, control of animals. This is that stimulusiever and the electronic carrot that we mentioned. Um, University of Houston doing bacteria research. Here we've got marijuana research. And then somewhere around subproject 149, uh, George hunter white pops up again and the fbn and the fbn is the the precursor to the dea um so essentially one of the final projects of mk ultra relates to the dea and what else happens right after mk ultra ends lsd breaking becomes a scheduled narcotic (laughs) so now you're no longer allowed to use it so it's just it's interesting that one of the final sub projects specifically dealt with the origins of the dea and then lsd becomes illegal enforced by the dea 
Um, so there's there's a connection here that that's that's aching to kind of be put together still. And then after MK Ultra starts to fizzle out and spread and change names, we've got Third Chance and Derby Hat, which we already went over. Here's this one called Operation Big City, which I don't know if it necessarily is is part of MK Ultra or where some project it fell under, but this was an example of where they they created right here a 1953 Mercury car was modified so that the exhaust pipe extended 18 inches beyond its normal length. Um, they basically also had uh, CIA agents go into the New York subway with battery powered emission equipment fitted into suitcases to see if LSD could be sprayed in confined areas and affect people. They also tried doing this in San Francisco, uh, releasing LSD off the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, also some biological gases. And again, this is just to see what happens. It's not even like there was a theory or a thesis or like some specific goal in mind. It was like, hey, if we just like unleash biochem warfare or if we unleash LSD, what happens? And that was the experiment. Um, We've got Operation Mindbender, which happens in Mexico City. Undercover hypnotherapists, <laughs> which is just like a, there's a comic waiting to be told about this one uh, alone. But <laughs> this, is, again, was trying to see if you could use drugs and hypnosis in order to turn someone into an assassin who could be triggered by some kind of an anchor. Again, the lady in the polka dot dress walking by, that would have been that pre-programmed signal that triggers you into your assassin programming. Should do it, um, bro. A secret society of hypnotherapists, and they're going around trying to like wipe out the New World Order. That'd be dope. I mean, if you're already a hypnotherapist, then you're already deep in um, academia, so mm -hmm. you're only... I mean, you're probably in the CIA, you just don't even know it. There are three degrees of separation from the CIA. So we, we've got MK Search, which kind of is an extension of MK Ultra um, that has its own little sub projects and continuations. Although I don't have as nearly as much information on on this, we've got Operation Resurrection. Some of these names start to get real fun. Um, so Operation Resurrection, also by Doctor Ewan Cameron at the Alley Memorial Institute. That was the dude that did psychic driving. Um, and putting people into drug-induced comas for like three months plus. This was um, studying radio frequency energy that could be beamed directly into the brains of highly disturbed animals. So basically, they would lobot do. This is like some really. This is beyond cruel. So first, they lobotomize the animal. So you don't even really have uh, your own agency in thinking. You're lobotomized. You're kind of like a vegetable that's technically. Um, just under the impression of any kind of external stimulation. Then after being lobotomized, you're kept in complete isolation until you just start going crazy, uh, you know, stir crazy, essentially. And then they freaking beam um, high frequency energy radio signals directly into your brain just to see what happens. Again, all of this is just like, hey, what would happen if we like put put that uh, hamster in a microwave. Oh no, let's see, Bob. If you write down your notes, then that counts as science. Wonder what happens if I cut my dick off and sew it on you and take your dick and sew it on myself. Do you think we'd feel each other's dicks, bro? <laughs> you think, so, somebody did <laughs> Somebody did that back then, bro. 100% they they thought about doing it. You can't tell me there weren't some some Nazi doctors like, "Hey, do you want to do it?" No, I guess. You know what I mean? They had to. For for science, bro. For, for science. Si only. For science. 
for science and so magic. I got, a, I got a note here. Project Pandora may or may not have been the uh, the predecessor to DARPA. Just like, you know, they start as a project, and then once they get big enough, then they have to get a big name and a PR campaign and a website and everything else. Um, often, and Chickwit, um, this starts getting into, like, more um, out of the, the mainland research. And then here we stop getting names for a little while. Um, 73 and 76, this again is where all of it starts coming to light. The church committee, there's the, the Pike committee, the Rockefeller commission, which you would notice. This is them getting ahead of it. Like, oh crap, people are starting to find out about this. We better go public, give them the information that we want to be out there and then hide everything else. Um, so I'm going to skip forward a little bit. We've got, uh, Ro- Ro- um, you mentioned Ronald Reagan here. So George Bush was another high up in the CIA and ends up becoming president. So there's almost this direct line of these these high political CIA directors that push this through to now someone that grew up and cut their teeth in the CIA on the tail end of MK Ultra and then this guy then becomes president. So like if you got to have any sort of high power within the MK Ultra program or the CIA in general now it's almost like you get you get to stand in line to become the president at a certain point. And Bush sorts of um, establishes that kind of early on. And then if we go, I'm going to go a little bit later. I don't know if we've got some more names. Okay, we'll just skip the Project Monarch now. So let me take a, let me take a breather and see if there's anything that you want to riff on before we get into Monarch, which is all speculation. No, I want to go off the rails, bro. 100%. I want to I want to get weird. Okay, so uh, so Project Monarch. Let me see. I've got another comic that that is kind of based on Project Monarch, um, and I, I'm going to show this one. It's a comic on Operation Midnight <laughs> Climax that talks about. This is George Hunter White. You can see he's eating an artichoke. He's got a bluebird on his shoulder. Um, here's the LSD twenty five. He's got vials of, and he's watching this in a san francisco safe house you can see the golden gate bridge so there's there's like so many mk ultra references here and again i mentioned that he he basically lived in this little back room to where he got a little porta potty to sit on so that's why he's sitting here uh eating his artichoke with his pants down it's because he's sitting on his little porta potty as he spies for the cia but i'll, I'll jump to this one in a second i want to show you um issue three of time samplers it's called dignity colony and if you don't know what Dignity Colony is, when the World War II ended and some of the Nazis were being persecuted, the ones that weren't lucky enough to get recruited by the U.S. or the government or the U.K. through either you know paperclip or um, they make a movie on that. One. Didn't wasn't there like or a number of them? Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really the, fucked up. Yeah, I've heard about that. It's col- uh, Colonia Dignidad, yes. uh, which is just like you know the same phrase. So like. The general premise is that that was one of the rat lines, one of the escape paths that the Nazis could get from Germany and they could go to Chile um, among many other places. But there's this one place in Chile called Dignity Colony, which until recently and probably even modern day was almost exclusively like blonde eyed or, uh, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, Aryan, German um, like community. It looked almost exactly like you took a German village and the, from Bavaria and just transplanted it in the Chile um, which was just like crazy to see like you know out in the regular context but the concept that these weren't just a Bavarian village but they were actual like 
Nazi um, descendants that just got to continue working as Nazis sort of out of the scope of the global eye. So issue three of Time Samblers deals with some of that backstory of Dignity Colony. So it mentions here, 1976, this is at that tail end of the, the committee hearings, right? So MK Ultra is coming out in the public. And this is based on a, a subjective theory, but that the MK Ultra search, you can see here, um, based on our research from MK Ultra, MK Search, MK Often, and other projects that I believe you're familiar with. So they take that research that's being done inside of the States, maybe inside of Europe, but now it's got scrutiny and they just move it to South America because no one cares about South America. No one's doing newspaper reports. There's no journalism happening, um, at least pertaining to MK Ultra. So the concept in time samplers is that two of the doctors that work in MK Ultra, they end up going to um, Dignity Colony to continue their research. And their research specifically focuses on programming kids. And one of the uh, the concepts here, you can see the checkerboard floor, a little nod to the, the masonry. But here they've got these kids in these little isolated rooms. And in this first one, this kid's kind of like role-playing out like he's fighting dragons. He's got a little shield and a sword. And the next one, this kid thinks he's a superhero. He's got a little cape and there's like superheroes flying around. And they make, they make a note here. The pro, um, they say that uh, the approach is theatrical rather than medical each personality created in a subject is linked to a specific theme and that this makes the programming not only more permanent but it ensures any recollections of the process seem like complete nonsense so imagine you're you're this kid you're being trained to fight dragons well really you're being taught how to do hand-to-hand combat using weapons you know what i mean but to the kid i'm just learning how to fight dragons well in theory, you train this kid to be an assassin. You send him out into the world. It's you VR. By it's video someone games. mentions reptilians or dragons or lizards to him, he immediately reverts into dragon slayer mode. He stabs somebody, kills them, and then goes back into the normal mode. When he gets captured by the police or whatever, and he's getting interrogated, who told you to kill him? You know, how? Where'd you get the sword from? Like, like, why'd you kill this man? Well, I don't know. I was trained to fight dragons with a sword and I saw a dragon, so I had to fight him. So, of course, you sound like an absolute lunatic, but he's telling the truth. He really was trained to fight mm-hmm. dragons. So, well, it's like the, it's again back to the cinema, cinema magicians where there is literally that. If you go back, and I always reference the same case, the 2003 case of Joshua Cook, where he killed his entire family because he thought he was in the Matrix and they were out to get him. So, it's essentially the same idea of using. Again, what is a movie? A bunch of sigils. We've been talking about implementing these things into the subconscious. Well, what better way? Children, like my kid, when he goes to school, he thinks he's playing. But they're actually learning as they're playing, you know, all these little group activities and stuff like that. So what better way to teach a kid how to, how you're saying, to this mentoring candidate by games again what are video games what are movies what are all these things they're subconsciously just pushing this thing let's throw in there that that key word let's throw in there that one pattern that's supposed to activate the trigger and boom you have the perfect assassin it's crazy so this is this is part of it um this one is also uh, sort of a nod to some of the MK Ultra imagery. If you just go on the internet and search for MK Ultra, you're inevitably 
gonna find a picture of like a little girl strapped down with like mask on or you're gonna find the snapshot from clockwork orange where alex is going through his deprogramming where they hold his eyes open and put drops in it um so this concept is actually based on a real helmet that someone had tried to make at some point and the concept was that one eye would you would project a um like a nice image and in the other eye, you would project an offensive image. And it was to see how the brain would sort of deal with these conflicting images at the same time. If you'd start to see more of the good images, or if you'd start to see more of the bad images, if it would affect your mood somehow. Um, so that was one of the, the many different sort of actual inventions that went on. And then it starts to get creepy here where he, he leads off into the nursery. So this is where we go to the height of the uh, the outlandish claims of Project Monarch. And a lot of this is based on how to create an Illuminati mind control slave. I think that's the name of the book by uh, Fritz Springmeier and Cisco Wheeler, um, along with a whole bunch of other sources. But here's the basic premise is that all of mind control and programming and manipulation on a wide level happens through trauma. So you have to invoke some kind of a trauma and then you immediately inject your programming. And it's crazy because this is kind of how a lot of genetic manipulation works too. They like traumatize a cell somehow. And then once it's in this vulnerable state, they can inject the genes that they want it to adapt. And so that we can just take that exact same process and apply it to mind control. So one of the concepts is that as you're still in utero, um, you're still developing as this fetus. This, this isn't necessarily proven, but in terms of the, the conspiracy theory and comic book world, the brain basically creates DMT. And that DMT being synthesized by the brain is sort of like this initial um, creation of consciousness. Like this, not necessarily the spirit, but just you being aware and having thought processes sort of starts with this initial spark of, of dimethyltryptamine. Dimethyltryptamine. Well, you gotta let me know when you're gonna say it so I can hit the button, bro. You can't just be saying okay. dropping it and then not telling me because I have to. Dimethyl trip to me. I have to do it. <laughs> so according to Project Monarch um, mind control theories, that right as that DMT is synthesized in the brain as a fetus, and right as that spark of consciousness starts, uh, basically a huge amniocentesis needle is stuck through the mother through you know through the the womb which is a real and thing it, and it yeah the mother's a mother is a real thing no no but this they test for different diseases and disabilities uh, so I, I think they can tell you if you have down syndrome by doing this so they go through and they i believe uh my wife told me about it they do something like similar to this bro and it's high yeah, it's, risk it's almost like a, like a biopsy almost yes. on like the fetus essentially well, the theory here is that this is just the first trauma coming from the outside world. This is, uh, this is the government, the state, um, you know, the, the system of bureaucracy that can impose trauma on you before you've even been born into the natural world. You're already being poked with these artificial needles um, and trauma is kind of starting. Then the very first, I mean, if you consider just the act of childbirth, you're in this like nice, warm, dark, you know, wet uh, environment, and then you get brought out into the light and the cold air hits you and you get smacked immediately. It's just these series of traumas nonstop. So the concept of Monarch is that 
you begin the trauma in a controlled environment when it's the baby is still in the womb you start trauma then then you just start inducing trauma again this pattern of like create the problem so that you can observe it and see how it develops and then see what you can do with it afterwards you don't want to go out and find broken merchandise you want to break it yourself and then see if you can fix it so this is the first step is that that long needle as as like a fetal sort of trauma but then again this is this is uh based on the fritz springmeyer and cisco wheeler's writing the first phase that the baby sees is going to be that of their programmer and the programmer is essentially assigned to this baby so the baby is only gonna um relate to this programmer for quite a while until they start developing like the nest the rest of their faculties and one of the things a programmer does is they're just absolutely nice like just overly loving, caring, um, you know, lot, lots of studies that show that like, if you just leave babies alone, you don't give them any affection that they can just kind of like um, develop all kinds of, of issues. Some can even die. I think there was like a, um, like an orphanage where they, they just did experiments on if they ignored the kids versus ones they gave attention to the ones that got ignored, developed all sorts of issues. So this is based on that premise of like, I'm going to just invest all sorts of love and care and attention into this subject until you, you develop this bond, like a, like a child would with its parent or like a baby with the mom. And then once that, that trust seems like so strong, um, basically something unexcusable um, happens. They, they take these babies and they put them in what's called a woodpecker grid. And a woodpecker grid is just a room filled with these metal cages. And the reason why they call it woodpecker is because of this clicking noise that it makes, like a woodpecker pecking on something. And the reason for that noise is because each of these different um, cages is basically electrified, but it's done at a interval that you can't predict. And the concept here is that if I was to shock you every 30 seconds after a while or every minute, you could kind of get used to that pattern and brace yourself. You know, even if you didn't know the exact timing, you'd know like, man, I haven't gotten shocked for a while. I bet it's coming. I'm going to tense up and kind of prepare yourself for it. Well, the concept here is that you do it at such an irregular schedule that your body and your brain never has the ability to detect the pattern and then brace for it. So at a certain point, you're just like, I'm just going to keep getting shocked. I can't plan on it. I'm just going to give myself up to it. You just kind of like, it breaks your spirit. You just give up. So that's the concept of this woodpecker grid is they're taking these toddlers and they're breaking their spirit to the point where I don't know whether or not to expect when pain's coming. So they just kind of turn into a blank slate at the very, at their very last moment of despair, when they've been into this woodpecker grid for so long, then the programmer comes in and saves them, rescues them. So they, so basically they're taking out of the womb, brought into the world, trauma one. Then they're being looked over by their programmer, cared after, nurtured, and then taken away and put into this woodpecker grid, trauma number two. Then the programmer comes back in and miraculously saves them from this woodpecker grid. But at this exact moment, when this toddler is looking up at the programmer, like, oh my God, thank you. You've just saved me from this, you know, horrible woodpecker grid experience then the programmer does something um, which basically they say uh, um, much like a computer program that is forced to process irreconcilable logic this input overload either results in a success of splitting the ego or it disqualifies the subject as a candidate altogether 
Now, if you want to get into the the dirtiest, darkest, you know, corners of this Cisco Wheeler and Fritz Springmeyer research, essentially what they're saying is that when they go and save that toddler, they abuse it. They bring it into a back room and they abuse the kid. And now, just like that woodpecker grid made it so like you never knew what to anticipate. I didn't know how to, you know, brace myself or defend this like oncoming trauma. I just knew it was constantly coming. Well, now my savior comes, you know, mom comes to save me. And the first thing that the programmer does is something unmentionable. Now you don't know who to trust. You'll never trust anyone again. That Those like connections of, of love and trust and fear, they all just get mashed together because it's one person was a source of all that. There was a source of your fear, your torture, your love, your nurturing. So again, just like telling a computer to d- divide by zero it's like the brain just immediately implodes on itself and says, I give up, you know, just tell me what to do. I'll do it because nothing else makes sense. So that's essentially the whole breakdown of what project Monarch is that you kidnap these kids, preferably, you know, almost like from childbirth, you torture them. And then you basically train them to look at you as their savior. And then you turn around and you do the worst thing you possibly could to them. And that creates this blank slate from then which you can train them to be an assassin or a sex kitten or, you know, an Epstein or a Manchurian candidate or whatever, but they all have to go through this process to turn into that initial blank slate. Not saying it's related, but there's a homunculus thing related to here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> there's a homunculus reference here somewhere, but so the, these guys that were writing about this, was this, hypothetical or i mean were they implying it was hypothetical as a as an academic experiment and we're just gonna connect the dots obviously and... no so so fritz springmeyer and cisco wheeler wrote about this as matter of fact um wow it, so that, that it was happening outside of the city so it makes you think about guantanamo bay it makes you think of abu Ghraib or whatever it's called over in in, in the middle east where it's no holds bar uh, no rules. Fuck the gov. You know, fuck the government. Fuck the laws. We're gonna do whatever we want to do. Is so. This was essentially happening at these places, unfortunately, and probably according still to, is. to Fritz Springmeier and Tisco Wheeler. And, and one of the places they said this happened was under the Denver International Airport. Whoa! Um, in a in an underground laboratory. He also says that um, there's a number of doctors that are involved in this process. One of them is Doctor White which um, some people speculate is Dr. Ewan Cameron, the one from um, Canada. And there's a Dr. Green. And some people claim that Dr. Green is actually um, Joseph Mengele, um, the Nazi researcher. So, So depending on where you read the theory and what it's addressing, but that's kind of like the most hardcore, most subjective outlandish version is that under the Denver International Airport, um, there's a laboratory with these woodpecker grids where they keep babies and toddlers and electrocute them and they program them and torture them from like a young age, turn them into programmed assassins and sex kittens, and then just unleash them out into the world. Wow. Okay. That's really dark. And it makes you think of the Disney actors and all this stuff, like these children actors that are literally just brought up to be vessels essentially for, I think that, movie and and cinema magic and all this stuff i think it's just another version of what the ancient greeks were all about when it came to 
manifesting ideas. If you think about a character in a movie or in a fairy tale or anything, it's these ideas that are floating around in the ether and these production companies are giving them physical vessels to inhabit. And that's how you Avatar, get, right? Avatar, yeah, and, and exactly. And you get these ideas of, oh, well, I let the the character inhabit my body and I become this, you know, these method actors who literally drive themselves to insanity. Look at the guy that was playing Joker. He killed himself. And you could, a Christian Bale, where he was literally starving himself for certain roles. So I think that's just another way of, again, another homunculus problem. <laughs> so this is... This is the book where a lot of that Project Monarch um, stuff kind of originates. There's also a series of books by Preston. Nichols. What's it called? I can write it down. Um, this one in particular is called "The Illuminati Formula Used to Create an Undetectable Total Mind-Controlled Slave." That's the, the the name of the book right here, and it's by Fritz. The Illuminati Freemire would never do that, Francisco bro. Wheeler. The Illuminati they would, would never do that. Oh. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to go through all of these, but you, but if you were to go through and, and click through all the go, go back chapters, to the name so I can write it down. Used al- to create an undetectable. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that dude. That's really messed up. Like this. It may. It, if you look at the the show Stranger Things, I mean, they're not they're not off of of the main. The truth is stranger than fiction, right? We always say that, and. I would not doubt it that they were doing this and not only this, but extracurricular things. I always mention, what are they not? What do we not know about? What are they, what was happening behind the scenes that they distract us from or that they've gotten away from that, that, that they've gotten away with. So if they're willing to do this to animals, right? We got to the, the pleasure center of a donkey, right? It's messed up. You know, they're going to eventually go look at the Libra vacay. It goes from a, from a, from a cow Hey, let's step it up. What do we, what happens if we do this with a human? You know what I mean? So I think it goes back to these grimoires of back then. And that's how they get so twisted with the, the methods that they're using to come up with these, with these final products. You know what I mean? And, and it goes, you have stories in China of chimeras and all this stuff. Even what is Alex Jones talking about? <laughs> <I> mean, if, <laughs> hey, for as much as Alex Jones is crazy and all this, I'm gonna I'm gonna censor the name just in case. But for as crazy as he is, a lot, he's got some credibility. You know what I mean? He's got some credibility, and it might be true. So you, you heard it here first, the one-on-one podcast. Yeah, just saying, dude. Just saying. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just I like to put things together, and that's where it's leading me to. So ju- just to point out, like the sort of the content that comes from this uh, Fritz Springmeier book, but you've got um, mentions of whiz kids that the New World Order needs to run their big computers. Here's just a bunch of random computer languages. Um, they mention that the CIA has an ongoing project to create Compu Kids. Hear me out. Um, Hear me out. Okay, we're talking about the Manchurian Candidate. We have the actor Evan, whatever the guy that plays Captain America, and that movie Snowpiercer that he was in. Because we mentioned Willy Wonka earlier. We have the Oompa Loompas, which the original Oompa Loompas were actually homunculus. they were actually African pygmy people. I think that's what they were supposed to be originally. Originally, and if you look at the movie Snowpiercer, who's running the trains? The little kids are running the trains. They're in the the small compartments that only they can 
uh, they can, you know, they can. That's why they steal the kids. Don't they steal the kids in that movie where they take the kids away from the people because they mm-hmm. want to raise them up to be these locomotive engineers because they they're the only ones that fit in that compartment. So it makes you think, bro. It's such it's so messed up that in that movie they eat the bugs. So we got the whole eat the bugs thing now where they're pushing bugs real real big. Well, it was actually people at the end of the movie. They weren't eating bugs. They were eating people the whole time. What? Were they? Was it? Yeah, yeah. I know they, they crushed up the, the cockroaches, but were they eating people too? That was the that was like the big reveal was that everyone's grossed out about, oh, we're eating bugs. But really, they were taking the the poorest people from the very back of the train, the final cart, which was like the lowest cast of undesirables. Yeah. And they became the food. Really? And probably got mixed up with everything. Oh. That, that was the that was the takeaway. I got a movie at least. I got to do it. It's such a great movie. I got to rewatch that movie. But yeah, that is, that is okay. Yeah, that, that that makes me think of a whole bunch of other things where it comes to the whole again Dahmer connection, and yeah, that that's that's really dark. That's that's really really fucking dark. So yeah, do you got you got anything else? What else we got on on the docket? going on for three I mean, we can we can go as deep as you want to keep going man but uh um i mean the 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 project monarch is what leaves us off into what most people now when when they say mk ultra and it's got like Katy perry or it's like mm-hmm. michael jackson or it's disney they're talking about project monarch at that point they're very okay they're pretty much not talking about mk ultra but project monarch is sort of this this um like a like a legend almost like a mythology of this descendant of project mk ultra um so like so a lot of the the newer stuff that comes out about pop culture mk ultra kind of gets dovetailed with project monarch and it's, it's just an important delineation to make because project mk ultra are things that basically come from the foia request and those seven boxes and lots of different government reports and redacted uh sort of documentation whereas project monarch as far as i'm aware comes almost entirely from fritz springmeyer and cisco wheeler um and a whole bunch of other people that have kind of written and claimed to have been mk ultra victims stuart swerdlow is another one i don't know if you're familiar with stuart swerdlow's work no um he claims to have actually been kidnapped and trained um through operation project monarch and he's got like videos where he describes the programming and how he like talked to alien races and stuff. It would probably be oh, right up It's like alley. a David Wilcox and that other guy. Very much so. Very much so. You know what but I'm he saying? also does like training seminars. So like you would pay this dude for him <laughs> to give you like the same training that he claims that he learned in Project Monarch by the CIA. Yeah, he's like, Yeah, they took me to the moon to sign some paperwork. It's like they couldn't just they took you to the moon, <laughs> bro, to sign paperwork and you were up there training with dude. I know part of being a alternative thought theorist person who thinks outside the box. You want to connect everything, and and listening to you, you're probably one of the uh, you're one of the best researchers that I know in the community who really does his homework and goes deep on things. But when you're when you're talking all this stuff, it makes it's, it's making me think about the missing four one one. Where do all those kids go? Imagine how many kids go missing in the hospitals that get swapped out or even sold. There's been doctors, dude, who have sold, who did would do abortions and would sell the body parts or even the fetuses off to who knows who. You know what I mean? Like, it makes you think of all these things that could potentially be connected because it, it goes, it gets so dark so quick. Right? Well, look at the roots of a lot of our heroes that made medical advancements and like the 
the body parts and skeletons they'd find in like Ben Franklin's uh, basement yeah. and, and things like this. Like it w- you would turn a blind eye because it was someone of stature. A and doctor. even if they were, even if the doctor was kidnapping kids, it, it's probably for the better of everybody. It's probably for some kind of bigger public good that we're just too dumb and too small down on the totem pole to really understand mm-hmm. how important the scope of research really is. And I think that a lot of it, gets tucked behind that but but again if you've got the benefit of 70 years of retrospect to go back and just look through these documents and be like you know that's kind of messed up that they're just literally injecting people with syphilis just to see what happens um and that really again that that, i think that's what has made the biggest impression on me over most of my research is that you go into this and i just always assume that like a scientist or someone that if they were had a whole article on them in the Encyclopedia Britannica and they've got Wikipedia articles and they founded, you know, all of these different chemicals and principles, well, they must have been just like a really smart, all around great, you know, person. But in reality, a lot of those times it's just like Jeffrey Dahmer, um, you know, soaking <laughs> animals in like petroleum for a week just yeah. to see if it would dissolve. And and if, if you just happen to know the right people and got the right funding, well, now all of a sudden you're like a prestigious doctor or you're teaching as a professor at some kind of university versus you're just like some, you know, drunk high school dropout that's torturing animals. Like the line between those two things is literally just the class that you were born yeah. into. Oh, yeah. Oh, you make a great point with that. Because wasn't Da Vinci trying to also dissect bodies and stuff like that? And I mean, his... A lot of them, I mean, honestly, if you start looking at the medieval um, artwork and the ones that were, like, proficient at anatomy, like, mm-hmm. the ones that really knew how, like, the toe curled and, um, like, like the, the arch of hysteria. We mentioned this Art, a few yeah. times, too. Like, the guys that, like, if you really want to look into, like, how do they know that much about anatomy, very often those dudes were, like, sitting on the sidelines as, like, a doctor was just operating on someone, like, living. Like, or without look anesthesia, at, without getting knocked out. Look at, like, accounts of Jack the Ripper, right? Where they talked about how everything that he did was surgical. And and what's that one kill house, too, in in the World Fair, 1893 World Fair, where there was all, Holmes, H.H. H. Holmes or something like that, where it's a, it was a Syracuse. Oh, yeah, the, the, the devil something where it was a get, or... yeah something like you know what you're talking about it was a whole house where they would murder people look at the sweeney todd movie where we have him right the original barbers weren't they people who who would dissect people i, I could have swore i heard that somewhere where the barbers was actually like an occult term you know it's where the word barbarian comes yes from barbarian the, so the, the barbary the barbary coast yeah so you have the sweeney todd the demonic barber where he was killing people and then what they were what were they doing with the meat they're putting it in these in these pies and they were selling them. So and there are literally people in the serial killers who would cook the people up and serve them to people. You know what I mean? They would they would give them away in food. So well, if, if you want to start going on tangents, I got I got one for you here that that uh, selfishly goes back into my own research, but we've got mescaline um, as like one of the main MK Ultra drugs that started with like the Nazis and the Germans, like for whatever reason, they honed it on mescaline as one of the main ones. And then a lot of this this research also happened to do with um, blood research. A lot of like malaria. I mean, this these are things that they detect in your blood and gets it gets um, transferred by blood. 
Well, you know what else was very popular between the 1930s and the 1950s that both had to do with blood and mescaline and uh, schizophrenia research, and that's the compound of adrenochrome. And a lot of these uh, German scientists and American scientists that were also studying mescaline and schizophrenia were not by name, but they were directly um, looking at adrenochrome. And it was only after that name became dubbed by someone and then kind of like, you know, felt its way through. But adrenochrome itself even gets lumped into mescaline and LSD, uh, specifically around like those early 1950s. It kind of got lumped into the same studies as everything else did. So I I really do wonder, there has to be some MK Ultra mm-hmm. adrenochrome specific experiments out there that just never got revealed or a name to them. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was going to say. That there's got to be some other program like this that has specifically to do with like you're saying, you know, they had the one for mind control. They had the other one for this. They had they had a magician. How you tie your shoe? That's cryptography right there. They're sending messages. Yeah, without- John Mulholland. That's the magician's name. Was John Mulholland? Wow. Yeah, this is really really fascinating. And I think. Yeah, any any concluding thoughts, Thomas, that you want to add? Anything you want to plug, dude? Because I think we went hard in the paint for this one. Uh, yeah, man. Actually, let me see if I if I've got one. This is not on the website, so uh, because for those that don't know, isn't mescaline also what? Or I could be wrong. I think it might be something else. Rye, the the fungus that grows on the rye, and that triggered the. That's LSD. Mescaline comes from um peyote buttons, cactus buttons. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that wasn't the one that triggered the Salem witch trials, right? Where they were all that one. That one. There's a lot of different conflicting research, but that's likely scopolamine, which would have come from Zatura, Hensbane, okay, um, Saint John's War. Like one of those. Those all kind of fall into that Zatura category, I believe. Um, okay, so here's an ex- here's a, another. I'll just do a quick preview. Let me because as of recently, obviously we had. We've had Britney Spears, right? MK Ultra type of thing where she Monarch. Technically, that would be Monarch Project Monarch. And then you have now the whole thing with with Kanye West as of recently, where he's been going crazy. And all right, what are we looking at here? So this is a comic that's titled Mulholland's Manual. This one's part of the uh, Paranoid American History 101 that you can get on Amazon. But this is. Basically, these are the two CIA agents, and that's John Mulholland in the background there that they're about to interrogate. And they, uh, he basically goes in here, and they're trying out some of the techniques that he, uh, he taught them. And one of the techniques is slipping LSD into your drink. So you can see the CIA agent is using this like special lighter, and it's dripping this uh, LSD into his coffee. Um, and then he actually ends up switching it, like switching the coffee mug around on him because they're going to like dose him with LSD (laughs) to then interrogate him to see if he'll give them like some other information. But he's just so used to being a magician that like by habit, he just automatically switches his drink with other people's drink. Like just, you know, because it's like a thing he just naturally does. So he inadvertently ends up dosing the CIA agent and it just kind of goes through um, some of the training that he mentions to them. So like the example that I told you about the shoelaces. So here's an example right here. So like to anyone that looks at you, they're like, oh, you just are an idiot that doesn't know how to tie your shoelaces. But I'm actually sending you a message because my laces are tied this certain way. And there's just like like Morse code 
has like a you know sort of like the index of here's what all the different morse code means there would be a book that would say okay here's what letters these laces mean in these certain configurations so this could very well mean like a very specific command or telling me like when to meet you next just by how your laces um and then it uh and then it just kind of ends with um him mentioning like oh i just switch the cups because i always do that uh not because he necessarily was like trying to do anything crazy but this is just an example of a little short mini comic about that specific mk ultra sub project where to wrap up on this because i like to speculate where do you think this has gotten to you because i've always said if and i know what you're probably going to say thomas because we've talked a bunch but this whole idea of being able to fully mind control somebody if they do actually have full control of people, why don't they just make them walk off a bridge or or do something crazy or kill them in their sleep or shoot them with the heart attack gun? Why make them do this whole spectacle? Or is that part of the design? You know what I mean? Or do you believe that there is the technology to make people just fully 100% mind control them without having to drug them or anything like that? Do you think that exists? Do you think they got that far? They were able to achieve that? I do. You do. I think I I hundred percent think that, but I think that there's also always that organic human element that like we know how to screw stuff up. Mm. So like even if you were perfectly programmed, um, that imperfect mm. human element can always like a know, Kanye. It starts to come out, it starts to bleed <laughs> out. Nature nature finds a way, kind of thing, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's not out of not wanting, but I think that we've I'm pretty sure that the the government has probably figured out how close we can get. And I bet you it's close enough to get the job done. And and to answer your question of like, well, why not just have them go out silently or like do this? Well, because part of these things, like if we go on the RFK or the JFK assassination, let's talk about the RFK one because that one's the closest to MK Ultra. Why do that out in public? Why have the guy get caught? Why not just like snipe them from you know some unseen vantage point? Well, because then you don't get all of the the media chaos that follows it and all the speculation and everything else and you also don't get to prove your point um in a public setting as much so that's one of the ideas of like the jfk assassination is like why didn't they just kill jfk with poison and then he just kind of like silently died and they announced that he was dead well no they want to make a big public spectacle to not just make the point of hey we we can take your president out whenever we want but like we can do it in public in the middle of a parade um with thousands of you know or hundreds of witnesses and we still don't care we're still gonna do it so it's it's all part of the message because it makes you think of like why wouldn't they get certain political figures from other countries if you know what i mean hit them with this technology or maybe they know that they the, the people over there have that technology so they don't mess with the people over there because they're gonna hit our political figure you know what i'm saying like why it, it do they prevent the warfare or is it because they can't do it you, you know what i mean but it's how you're saying maybe there is that media frenzy aspect to it where everybody would just be dropping dead which well i don't know if, if i don't know if you could just like kidnap someone and then and like mind control them within like a day or two and then kick them back on on the street there's probably still like a very long lengthy process so if you've got if you've got enough connection that you could be like next to a president or someone it would be unheard of that you could just like disappear off the face of the earth, get trained as an assassin and then show back up again 
and you're like sitting next to the president at dinner. It typically wouldn't happen. So um, again, I think that's why going even back to that Marco Polo's explanation of the society of the assassins, you get them young, you get these young kids that are still developing their concept of reality in the world. Um, And especially when like uh, in his case, when like hormones are raging, right. And then you, you show them like, beer and hot chicks and you're like hey this is you this could be your life now it's almost like a like a cheat code you know like a short circuit you can play off of that that sort of like um process of puberty and get right to it and the same thing with like children a lot of the times this this um project monarch specifically deals with children because children don't have any other frame of reference so if you tell them something they don't have to go through that same like well that doesn't make sense because i've experienced different than that they don't have those life experiences so they can just accept a lot more of that as like pure fact almost yeah yeah no and 100 because as right as a as a young kid you only think with one head you know which one i'm talking about and it's like it's easy to coerce and manipulate the younger crowd which is the whole thing with don't get in strangers. It's like, hey, you want a piece of candy? Just get in my van, right? <laughs> it's like this, the whole thing. Since we were in, uh, you know, elementary school, don't get in a van because kids are easily coerced. And like you're saying, I believe that kids take on whatever world that's projected to them. So you could 100% program somebody from a very young age. And there is entire movies on this. And I think that's what the whole being raised by different animals, right? These stories of being raised feral children, feral children and all these things where it hints at that type of thing. So I don't know. This is really fascinating, bro. I think that are you getting some feedback from my, from my mic. I don't know. I think I'm getting some feedback, but it's all good, dude. Anything you want to plug, man? I think this was great and we should do another deep dive like this soon. Uh, if you like this, check out the MK ultra pamphlet. Um, for now, you can go to mkultracomic.com and it'll bring you to a digital version of this. Although, I might be taking this one offline uh, at the end of the year, so it'll only be for sale on Etsy and Amazon and pretty soon through the uh, website. So, MK Ultra pamphlet, Paranoid pamphlet, and then uh, I mentioned me and you are going to maybe work on a homunculus version of one of these, so look out for that one soon. Yeah, we and are. We are. We are currently wrapping up the Chosen One issue two, and we will be doing another Kickstarter. But I don't know when. Uh, I don't know when we've both got the the stomach to go through the whole Kickstarter experience <laughs> again. So uh, maybe next month, maybe December. We'll uh, but yeah, issue two will be coming out. We'll see what that's happens. That's it, man. ParanoidAmerican.com at ParanoidAmerican on Instagram, and everywhere else you get your paranoid conspiracy theories. You know where to find me, right? Make sure to share with your friends. Leave us a review. Even if you want to call Paranoid American a dickhead, that's, that's welcomed <laughs> in the reviews too. One star, five star, whatever it is. Join the Telegram. Follow me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. You know where to find me. Thank you for sticking with us this long. This was a really insightful and crazy episode, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. I'll catch you on the other side.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.